Sean? Hey, you out there? What's that noise? Sean? What's going on? Talk to me. Will you be quiet? Just tell me what's happening. What the hell is... Will you shut up? Maybe you should get Jack. I said Jack! It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. And today, the blast doors are down. We are locked in on lockdown. Mike Bloom. It's the episode we were born three months ahead of time for, Josh. Finally, in lockdown, we can talk about lockdown. The planets have finally aligned here. Our poker hand is a royal (laughs) flush, baby. Yeah, it is. All right, we're talking lockdown. It's season two, episode 17. Um, The Ben Behind the Curtain's single favorite hour of Lost, I believe. Uh, I don't want to speak for Ben, but I'm pretty sure that that's the take. Uh, And certainly, I think... Is lockdown the most analyzed episode of Lost? Uh, has to be high. I mean, on that I would list. say that there's one particular image that has to be the most yeah. analyzed in all of Lost, if not in all of at least modern television. Yeah. Uh, so this is the one we've been waiting for. This one for a while. Uh, maybe hard to like really stop down and analyze the blast door map on a podcast. It's such it's more of a visual thing. Uh, but we'll spend some time on it here for sure. Well, I in, think you uh, you've been form. twitching a lot lately. Maybe this is some content that we can provide at some point during our own respective lockdowns as to doing a deep dive into the blast door map. Because yeah, suffice it to say, even years after the fact, there are still Plenty upon plenty of breakdowns about the Latin of it all and the stations that are featured and not featured. But again, it it cannot be, in my opinion, overstated enough how much the Blastor map was not only such a prolific piece of lost mythos, but really was like the pinnacle of internet subculture. Yeah, it was awesome. Of like, that's the mid-2000s breaking down every single freeze frame detail to see what's important, what's not important. And it really does sort of, much like the map focuses around that big question mark, so much that the internet did focus around the giant question mark that was the Blast Door map that really carried the lost fandom through to season six. And it's just such a cool image. Like, forget, like, what's baked into it, and there's a lot that's baked into it. 
but it's just such an evocative image, like the hot pink, you know, scrawled, uh, you know, chicken scratch from Radzinski. Yeah, I gotta say, like, Radzinski, like, real rave guy, you know, with the neon going on. Like, he was ready for a party. Yeah, definitely. Maybe that was the original countdown before, like, the static got all garbled, you know, back when Kelvin and Desmond were kind of futzing with it. They sort of threw off the groove of the beat. Yeah, I think Radzinski was huffing some of that Dharma theatrical glue as he was uh, as he was putting this together for sure. Um, you mentioned Twitch, Mike, and yes, I've been twitching. Uh, not just in terms of, like physically, I'm a I, I have a restless leg syndrome, Mike, so my legs are constantly. Oh uh, well, John Locke is very envious. <laughs> I know, I, I know he is. So, I, so I've, I've got that going on for myself, but I have been Twitch streaming on Twitch, the service. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna check out what I'm doing over there, Twitch.tv/RoundHoward, uh, where I am uh, streaming some some video game action. But also this week, uh, I experimented with something, Mike. I, I, you know, we we watch the episodes before we podcast about them of course, here on Down the Hatch, uh, and I do copious, furious note-taking, and I decide, you know, why not do this with an audience? This is the Blast Door Map episode. This is one of the most, like, highly picked-over episodes of Lost ever, uh, so I just kind of spontaneously hopped on Twitch and watched Lockdown with a bunch of people who just came along for the ride, and it was a super, super fun time and a really fun way to re-experience this episode with some community behind it. And I think that that's a good segue into the fact that, hey, here's another irregular thing about lockdown. If you're listening to Down the Hatch on the first run, this podcast is arriving a little bit earlier than it normally does. Typically, Down the Hatch arrives on Fridays. This is landing on a Wednesday, Wednesday, May 20th, 2020, to be precise. And that is because, Mike, um, normally on our Friday spot, we wouldn't be falling right on the date, but we'd be so close to it and it's such an occasion that we want to make sure we're covering it from a few different angles, uh, much like we study the Blast Door map. May 23rd, 2020 is the 10-year anniversary of the end of the Lost series finale. This is a big week, Mike, as we're recording this on May 19th, 2020, the one-year anniversary of the Game of Thrones series finale. Oh, my uh, goodness. This is just a week for prestige television in the time capsule. I, I believe it's also uh, the 15th anniversary of uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith today as we're recording this. Well, hopefully Lost. I think Lost has the higher ground above Game of Thrones when it comes to series <laughs> finales. Personally, I uh, agree. I agree. But, yeah, I mean, not only that, uh, you and I got together five years ago to talk about the series finale five years or 10 years out no five years out uh in 2015 and so you know we've been trying to sort of rack our brains as to how we're going to cover it we're not going to spoil necessarily how we're covering it that'll be a surprise for your podcast feed come saturday but i will just say it's very on brand for us you know there are a lot of fantastic lost podcasts and other pieces of media out there that will be covering the finale in their own ways this is definitively like a josh wiggler and mike bloom joint yeah uh, uh are very true to our brand if you will exactly uh, so you know keep an ear out for that that podcast we're going to do an additional podcast this week it's going to drop in your feed on the morning of may 23rd 2020 um we are we are going to hopefully be able to to uh interact with you live on that podcast on thursday night may 21st 2020 is when we are going to be recording that podcast and mike and i are looking into doing that on my twitch page so twitch.tv slash round howard if you want to to keep your schedule clear roughly around 7 p.m eastern 
on May 21st is what we are shooting for. Uh, I'll tweet out the link if you want to participate in the madness. And believe us, there will be madness. On top of that, uh, 8.15 in the morning on May 23rd, 2020, I'm going to rewatch the Lost finale on my Twitch page, twitch.tv slash roundhoward. Mike's going to join if he can. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lots going on. We also have that Top Chef podcast to record on Saturday mornings. But if you can make it, Mike, uh, I I definitely want you along for the ride. Uh, And anyone who wants to watch the end on the date that the end uh, originally aired 10 years later, we're going to do that together uh, as as many of us who want to participate in that as possible. So a lot of action going on this week, and I'm sure uh, plenty more in all of your favorite Lost podcasts out there, of which there are so many, whether it's The Storm or The Hatch. Uh, there's just a, a, a tremendous amount of Lost content out there right now. And Mike and I, I know I, I can speak for you on this, Mike, that we're just we're very, very proud and very honored to be uh, part of that group right now that's going back and plumbing the depths going down the hatch in all of our respective ways, celebrating this great series all these years later. Yeah, it's a really interesting community that just so happens around this time, you know, we all happen to pop up of exploring this series that is so near and dear to all of us, 15 years, 10 years, whatever you have you after the fact. And I mean, the amount of fun I've had doing this is I, I cannot say it enough. Uh, and I hope that reflects on you guys as well. And I'm very happy that, you know, this episode is the one to be discussed this week because i mean i'm gonna be coming here with maybe some hot takes josh uh, in comparison to you know some of the things our listeners had to say i mean lockdown in my opinion is probably not only my favorite episode of season two so far maybe not only my final my favorite episode of season two in general maybe one of my favorite episodes of lost ever Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great episode. And I think I, I, I knew that it was a great episode. I knew this was going to be in the fours, uh, fours for me. Uh, like I knew that that was, uh, that I was going to, you know, shave in the shower and it was going to be good for my fours, uh, with lockdown. There was no question about that. Um, just for legacy reasons at the very least. But I, I do think I was surprised watching the episode of like, yeah, that's a perfect episode of Lost. Like the subplot, yep. Yep. maybe and, and there's like some holes to poke there, maybe in terms of like the logic of it, of like, hey, Jack, weren't you just like five seconds ago, like really afraid that maybe Saeed had been led into a trap and Anna had been led into a trap and perhaps uh, this guy is another and there's some sort of ambush and now you're playing poker? Like maybe like there's some logistical wonkiness to some of that that is worth uh, picking apart. But is it really worth picking apart when it's as enjoyable as what we get? Like the Jack and Sawyer stuff is so, so great. And I'd forgotten which episode in season two that arrived in. I knew it was obviously before two for the road, before Jack goes for the guns. But I I didn't remember if it was Dave, if it's SOS. And here it is in lockdown. So a really fun side story in lockdown. It is a far cry away from the tree frog incident of one of them, which would have been a perfect episode by my accounting, if not for the fact that its subplot is really, really shitty. Um, The subplot here is really, really good. The main plot here is really really excellent and uh i think that the flashback story especially uh, you and i were talking offline uh especially as it relates to the orientation flashback yeah. um is is really strong it's a really great look at like what could have been for john locke it's a really sad statement on like the power of things that drag you down uh, the albatrosses in our lives, uh, whether it was uh, heroin for for Charlie or an actual human, you can assign an LVP point. Yeah, in human the form heroin of, of Anthony Cooper. Um, I think it's a it's a pretty powerful statement. And then, of course, 
this is next level Benjamin Linus Henry Gale stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, and then that's the thing is that the, one of the reasons why I really love this episode, especially, you know, it might be a bit contentious that, you know, some people said, oh, I think Man of Science, Man of Faith is a great capper to the season. I agree, but I think what Lockdown has above it is that Lockdown serves as a culmination of so many different storylines. It benefits from the fact that's, you know, two thirds of the way through the season. This is going to be the last episode that really has it up in the air as to whether Benjamin Linus is Henry Gale. And true to its conclusion, they still really toy that line, toe that line of, okay, wait, he did this, you know, he, he locked, gave him an opportunity to sneak away, and he didn't. Maybe that means he's Henry Gale. Oh, wait, now he's actually Benjamin Linus, like, still right. messing with us up to this point. You mentioned the flashbacks. I know some people are a little meh on the flashbacks, but I totally agree. I think this is a perfect way to finish off the flashbacks from orientation, which I enjoyed, but I enjoy this conclusion a bit more than I did the beginning there, because, like you said, when we meet John Locke in flashbacks in Walkabout, he is a fiercely independent man, uh, almost pathetically so. And this episode fills in those blanks as to how he became that way. And it's only because the relationships that he had in his life were taken away from him. And some of them were by his own doing, some of them were by circumstance. But we really get to see how much that informs the Locke that you know we see today and why he makes the decisions that he does. I think this is one of the best tying's in of a flashback to a main storyline that we see in season two. And we'll get into it later with the sounds, but I just thought it was masterfully done. And, you know, comparing it to other Locke episodes, the B-plot reminds me a lot of the B-plot from Deus Ex Machina, yeah. uh, the famous Sawyer Gets Glasses flashback, which, again, on paper might seem a bit atonal, but it's a great way to sort of focus in on some of those character relationships in a way that does not seem completely uh, bipolar, more so just a different way to look at things. and Bipolar bear. Exactly, but take you away from the intensity that's going on in the main storyline to get into some other juicy stuff. Uh, All right, well, let's get into some other juicy stuff because Ben's on fire in this episode. This is Lockdown, directed by Stephen Williams, written by Cuse and Linda Loft. So that's an all-star squad right away, um, centering on John Locke up to this point. We have not had a John Locke episode that has disappointed that streak will break with the next John Locke episode, but that's okay. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, we're definitely going to end, end a bit of a streak here for a little while. No, I guess the the brig will be good. Uh, and then we have, Oh, yeah. Well, we've got the man from Tallahassee is yeah, coming mid-season three. And we have Jeremy Bentham, which, of course, is amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Locke is a pot farmer of it all. Uh, is it as bad as remembered? Is there going to be some funny? There's certainly going to be funny stuff for you and I to podcast about. Oh, yeah. uh, so, and not just so because we'll, we'll be imbibing it. certain products that come from that farm. Oh, no. No, not me. Not anymore. I've done <laughs> enough. I've done enough. I wish. Uh, but I took that off the menu for myself. Uh, but please, Mike. Feel free to indulge, however. <laughs> that'll be that'll be. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. See if do whatever all, you want to do. Yeah, you know, if I'll follow further instructions when we get to all season right. three, that would be an interesting idea. Do whatever you want to do, Mike. Don't let me yuck your yum. All right, let's get into lockdown. And if you didn't think this episode was going to be a winner already, of course, we start in flashback mode, and there he is, Johnny Locke, with that sweet, luscious flashback <laughs> hair. You know, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, uh, it's slowly, you know, thing. I'm not sure how much time has passed between the leap of faith that he took with Helen, considering that he is going to propose to her. You could assume that, okay, for any rational human being, a good amount of time has passed. But knowing John Locke, I would not be surprised, Josh, if like three months have passed and Locke has this balled up sock that has an engagement ring in it. 
Yeah, I think that that's possible. It seems like he may have been planning this for a while, but he has. A, it seems like he's got a good, sweet idea. He and Helen are going to go on a picnic. Uh, we're going to go on a picnic. It's going to be great. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, come back, finds out that Boone's dead. <laughs> I know. Uh, going on picnics on Lost, uh, it just does not end well, whether it's uh, Shannon and Saeed going on a picnic and then Boone dies, or Hurley tries to take um uh libby on a picnic mm-hmm. and libby dies so like this just never really ends well <laughs> yeah if you anybody. go on a picnic someone will die so do yeah. you really want to have that blood on your hands in addition yeah. to the, the ants yeah keep the picnics off the menu as well as Locke is gonna it's gonna tell helen like well, just just let me take care of everything i'm packing the stuff for the picnic lunch helen totally knows that he's gonna propose to her by the way oh yeah no like, helen norwood is like one smart tough cookie uh yeah. she, has, she has a great read on him later on i also note that the music playing is a song by george jones called i'll share my world which again like great insight into Locke's state of mind at the moment of like you know again he it took him a little while but he took this leap of faith with her at the end of orientation and he is willing to accept her back into his life which makes it all the more tragic when you know his addiction in a manner of speaking comes back into his life and he really has to reconcile his personal current life with those past demons all right. Uh, and speaking of that, uh, that past demon, that past demon is apparently dead. Helen, who loves to read the obituaries, says nobody says mean things about people when they're dead. I guess this is really a, a pre-internet boom type of show. But uh, but also like the obituaries, like I'm, you're not going there for like color commentary either way. It's usually very straightforward. Like, this nobody's is providing like subjective opinions about like he was an okay person. Th- well, that's what I was gonna say though. This is like a pre-Twitter show because uh like you you'll see like the viral obituary of like the the bitter family members who just like drag dad on his way down to hell uh so like i guess helen's not reading any of those so she has sort of like the morbid sense of humor that maybe she would enjoy that uh but it's her favorite section of the paper nobody says mean things about people when they're dead she I'm, says. I'm with Locke. i'm team funnies i've been team funnies for forever yeah anthony cooper is dead he has an obituary uh, in the paper. wonder who wrote it, and what did it say? Well, I was going to say, because uh, maybe Jimmy Bain wrote it to try to coax <laughs> him out of his hiding spot. Because uh, I, I, I feel Anthony like... Anthony Cooper was a piece of shit. They deprived Locke of the opportunity to write his father's obituary, because that would have been super interesting, right? Yeah, that like, would have been fascinating. Locke says that he really has nothing to say at the funeral. If To your point that you made, if he was given the opportunity to tell everyone what a man Anthony Cooper was, I don't know, maybe Swoozie Kurtz was uh was was uh i don't know though i guess she was one of many sort of paramours in his life so maybe it was just some rando out of anthony cooper's barrage of people he's conned also how many people are there named anthony cooper how does helen know that this is the anthony cooper well i guess it's it's is it a local paper i'm assuming because i i guess they didn't move despite helen being like hey stop tailing your father uh, it seems like there's cooper still sort of hanging around the area for some reason so i guess just, you would that'd be your assumption just looked up the name Anthony Cooper on Facebook, and I'm still scrolling because there are so many Anthony Cooper. Maybe that's why he's uh, he was able to, you know, fake his death so easily is because he has a generic enough name. Yeah, uh, it's generic. Uh, so Anthony Cooper is dead. Uh, allegedly, Anthony Cooper is about as dead at this moment in time as the Wandoff. Uh, we we go back to the island uh, and we're picking up immediately after where we left things off with uh with the the do you guys have any milk of it all let's listen in sound number 1 draw it again the map to your balloon i was joking i was making a joke 
There's nothing out there besides my balloon. I was just frustrated. It was a stupid thing to say. I'm sorry. It's too late anyway. She's already long gone, Jack. So what's done is done. That's right. Put him back in the armory. Why do you let him talk to you like that? Hey, Wade, I... Shut up! John! Sorry. John! Josh, one of the many reasons why I love this episode is because it really is one of Lost's first bottle episodes. I guess you could say Adrift was kind of one, but this is a bottle episode, essentially, for John Locke and Benjamin Linus. And what I love about it is these are two characters who are going to become so fundamentally fundamentally important to each other's existences from here on out. I mean, one is going to kill the other. One is going to take the form and tell the other to kill Jacob. Like, these two's fates are going to be inextricably tied to each other for essentially the rest of Lost and the rest of their lives. And this is an episode that literally brings down a barricade to force them together and have to really, you know, from Locke's perspective specifically, give his read on Henry Gale and, and reach out to an unlikely person in a time of desperation. Here... Obviously, the mood's a bit soured, much like the milk, in that we really do see angry Locke sort of mirroring angry Jack's disposition and, you know, shoving Ben into the armory. Yeah, one of the things that I love about the Ben and Locke relationship, and we can really start digging into it now, because this is the, this is the first Locke and Ben two-hander, um, is what I would say about this episode, mm-hmm. um, is... If the question between Jack and Locke is sort of like the collision of man of science, uh, man of science versus man of faith, um, then the, the the question between Locke and Ben is like man of faith versus versus like man of nothing. You know, like mm. Ben is really just a man of himself. Uh, ben is Ben is a man of pain. He's a he's a man of um, of power. He's a man of wanting things done his way and only his way. And he is he is a man who is, as we come to find out later on in the show, at least partly the way he is because of you know being rehabilitated probably by the smoke monster, right? Mm. Uh, after he's shot by Saeed as a kid, and Richard Alpert takes him to the temple, that there is some like literal darkness in Ben that drives him, um, that is conquerable to a degree, it would seem, um, but is is hard to conquer, is very difficult to conquer, uh, and I think that the the person who Ben is, which is by and large a very selfish, petty, angry, but smart and ruthless and scrupulous uh, man who will lie, cheat, and steal to get what he wants. What can that man do to the man of faith? Yeah. Um, and if that is not topical, you know, <laughs> if, that is, if that is not topical. Uh, so I, I think it's really fascinating to watch that dynamic and why Ben is able to get one over on Locke 
time and time and time and time again because Locke is so all in on the idea that like I'm here for a reason. Um, you know, what's done is done is something he says in the scene we just listened to. Uh, a cousin, uh, the unpopular cousin of whatever happened, happened. And whatever will happen, will happen, I mm-hmm. think, is an unsaid, yeah, unspoken lock philosophy. Exactly. Um, and so that's why he's always, you know, allowing himself to be put in positions to trust Ben despite all instincts, to work with Ben despite all instincts, to turn his back on Ben despite all instincts. Ben's going to shoot Locke, and Locke will still eventually at some point in time work with Ben, yeah. turn his back on Ben, get choked to death by Ben. Um, and I think that that is a really powerful conflict that's in play um, that is, if not necessarily introduced here, we can at least retroactively look at that idea and that dynamic as it's interplaying here between Ben and Locke. And as we push deeper into this episode, Mike, I know that some of the questions are like, how much does Ben know about what's going on here in the hatch? Um, I would posit he's pretty in on what's going on here. Yeah, considering that obviously the station, the Swan, was a Dorma station, he would be able to know why it's there. Uh, obviously, I'm sure Dharma history has talked about the incident and why. There is, there is no chance that Ben does not know what the Swan Station is for. Yeah, that, that would make no sense. Like, I could understand maybe why, and this will come to the pearl of it all in a few episodes, why some members of the Dharma Initiative were kept in the dark. But you can imagine Ben being the head honcho, the grand poobah of the others of the Dharma Initiative at this moment would be someone that would be in the know about literally everything. He could fill in Radzinski's map if he wanted right. to. Right, right. Well, we'll. I don't know if, if it would be quite the level of craft. Oh, uh, no, we've, seen, we've seen the two men <laughs> with, their, with their cartography skills. Uh, one is a little bit more impressive than the other, I would say. Yeah, but I, this scene uh, you know, is so interesting because I forgot that this episode picks up literally right after the cliffhanger. And I will say, a bit of like a weak pivot from Ben to be like, uh, just kidding, guys. It was a funny joke. I'm sorry about that. Uh, you know, he knows that he was effing with them. I don't know, maybe if he, if he did not intend the reaction that he did was essentially to make Jack like furrow his brow and lock go aggro but i will say ben was not making like the biggest case for himself for henry gale if he's doing just a jk response to painting that entire narrative at the end of the last episode he's pushing buttons if not the button he's pushing buttons uh and this is all part of the thing like he wants to he wants to get Locke and jack angry with each other he wants there to be a division he wants to to cozy up to both of them uh this is all part of the plan as yeah. the Joker would say. And and Ben, you know, really tries to push the button that he did at the end of maternity leave. Why do you let him talk to you like that? And right. it's clear that I think, I don't know if Ben intended for this purpose or if he just happened to touch a nerve with Locke. Again, those, those anger problems that we heard about in Orientation as its spiritual sequel are bubbling at the surface. We heard that with the intro clip, and we hear it here where Locke, who's like, really has been the person to like extend, a, if not an olive branch to Ben, at least like treat him like a human being instead of a prisoner, as opposed to Saeed, is like shoving him in, screaming at him later. Uh, it's clear that, you know, his opinion towards Ben has denigrated both the uh, the more he realizes that he's screwing him and also the more the situations in the hatch will become dire, and he has no idea what to do. All right, elsewhere on the island, the search for the balloon continues. Uh, Saeed really wants to just go back and put a bullet in, in Henry Gale. Uh, he's not having Anna, who's like, come on, let's just keep looking. We're here. Uh, and at the height of their argument, Charlie calls them all over. He's found the grave. 
Um, and it's the one spot in this whole area that isn't covered in rain. And they're like, why is this not covered in rain? Uh, and they look up and there's the balloon. It's like, you would have probably seen the balloon as you were walking up. Yeah, it's to it's the like grave. red and white at this point, or red and yellow. And big, big old smiley face, like Henry Gale said. And, you know, I d- did not personally take in uh, the graphic novel or comic series Watchmen until long after Lost was finished. But now, looking back and given Damon Lindelof's uh, you know, mm-hmm. connections to Watchmen as of late, it makes so much sense as to it having a little bit of a wink and a nod here with the comedian's famous smiley face badge on the form yeah, of the balloon. I mean, uh, a very morally ambiguous guy in the comedian uh, trending towards morally bad, very bad. <laughs> yeah, doing certain and, things that are very, very bad. Yeah, and I, and I think to, to assign that to, to the Henry Gale character who goes on to be Ben Linus, I think, is uh, uh, probably not an accident. Probably yeah. a bit of a, a hint at, like, there's something a little bit more nefarious under the mask of Henry Gale. Not to mention the fact that you know, Watchmen, the whole idea, but in both the series and the comic was this idea of disguises, right? And superheroes being outed or putting on masks in various shape or forms. And Ben has been putting on a mask this entire time uh, that he was showing a disguise. And again, it's, it's the fun. And you talked about this last week as well. I think it is a brilliant choice that we see Team Balloon here right at the beginning of the episode, finding the grave in the balloon, and we do not see them until the end. So our assumption, or at least our trending assumption is, Okay, well, the graves here and the balloons here, just like Henry said, I guess that means that he really is Henry Gale, and they keep sort of leading us along that path with everything with the button until we get to that final scene when, ah, it just blossoms so, so nicely. I think, you know, them not showing all the action in between and Saeed digging up the grave, I think, was an incredible choice to the the mystery of it all. Absolutely agreed. All right, back on the beach, Jack has run down to the beach to be like, Where's everybody? Where's Anna? Where's Saeed? They're like, yeah, they're gone. And he's like, oh, man, all right, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then uh, very quickly, it's like, uh, hey, doctor, you've been gone for a long time. Some people are sick. Aaron's not feeling well. Uh, Libby's not feeling well either. Lots of different medical issues. You've been gone for a long time. Can, can you check back in with us? Jack, hey, Jack, hey, Jack. And he's like, what? Oh, God, so many people. Yeah, well, I will also say this scene starts interestingly where Jack approaches Hurley and says, like, yeah, hey, did you know where they went? And Hurley says, well, that would assume that anyone actually tells me anything. Which, like, isn't the runner at this point that everyone tells Hurley everything and he tells everyone else? Well, maybe that's why it's changed. Like, everyone's mm. like, Hurley, you gossip is this, enough. Is this our requisite preview scene for Dave next week? Um, I think it's the combination of this and the palette at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the palette is going to be the big island item where everyone becomes obsessed with it. But I guess sort of Hurley feeling out of the loop and maybe a little bit separated from everyone is really going to come to prominence next week when he feels that he is seeing someone who is not there. We get a call back to maternity leave with uh, Aaron being a little bit hot and fussy. But yeah, as, as you I mean, Libby comes in stung by a sea urchin. I am, if this were lost to sitcom, you know somebody's <laughs> peeing on that thing, Josh. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Especially, well, I think... Uh, I mean, I don't know. Curly had that incident happen previously, and Jin would refuse to do it. Would he do it to Libby, considering what he's trying to do with pursuing her? Yeah, uh, somebody gets canceled, for sure. Somebody gets, like, deeply, darkly canceled. Yeah, absolutely. So that's sort of like a a brief glimpse as to Jack being like, okay, you got to stay surface side, which is fine because uh, he would get locked out soon enough anyway, considering what's going to happen next. 100%. All right, so back at the hatch... Uh, Locke, obviously, like, he lost his cool around around Ben again. 
For not for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, that's already happened before. But he lost his cool around Ben. He threw him into the into the armory, um, and he's gonna blow off some steam by riding a bike, just riding like a mofo. Desmond, be damned, right? Yeah, exactly. Though his workout music is uh, prepared for what? Which I feel like is maybe actually I don't know. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like Desmond nor Locke. I know they have uh, limited musical choices, but neither one is really like the jock jam that's gonna help you get through that biking session. I don't know if they've got jock jams in the hatch. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. That'd be a good way to torture everybody. Yeah, that'd be a good way to torture yeah. Ben, though, is just leave the jock jams on loop until he finally relents. <laughs> Pump up the jam. Pump it up. All right, all right. I'll tell you who I am. Yeah. Put out lymph cod, Nigel. No! Just stop the Billy Way Cyrus. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god, except he could do like a flawless Cotton Eye Joe dance. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that's like Locke brings him out to line dance and that's how Ben escapes. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's ridiculous. Uh yeah, maybe he could have been listening to some some Scatman John Locke. Uh could have uh, been having some fun with all of that. Ben said he's listening to jazz, he's having a good time, and then there's something coming up over the speakers. It's like, oh, that's not part of the song. Except it's like who has their cell phone on? We're trying to film right now. Yeah, we've got a little <laughs> feedback issue happening here. Uh forty seven minutes on the clock as all of these noises are starting to happen. Um and Henry Gale a.k.a. Benjamin Linus, is being very Benjamin Linus here as his ears are peeking um, from the armory. And he goes, what was that? Because you know that this man knows what that was. He's like, what's going on here? And what that is, is obviously the lockdown sequence is about to initiate. And there's never really a great explanation for why, as far as I can recall. Yeah, I believe the the fan canon is that it was connected to the pallet drop, the supply drop that happens at the end of the episode. That maybe it's connected to that. Um, uh, while I was watching the episode on Twitch, there was a, a great question about it from from Quaka Cash, who was watching with me, who said, do you think the others are controlling the sound in the hatch? And if so, to what end? Is it to free Ben? But Ben goes back to save Locke. Is it a wrinkle in the plan? And I wonder, Mike, if this whole thing um, is, is lockdown um, at its best, if it's evaluated as the lockdown is occurring because the others who've been like watching the situation from the Pearl or whatever... Uh, if if somehow they're hip to the fact of, yo, uh, so they they're they're digging up the body. Mm. They're oh oh god, they're they're. I told you he should have eaten the body. Uh, <laughs> they're digging up the body. They're gonna come back. They know that he's not Henry Gale. We gotta execute uh, order sixty uh, six. <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta extricate this guy from from the hatch. It was a it was a good effort, but if they come back, they're gonna shoot our leader in the face. Like, is this an escape plan? Um, and if so, does Ben understand that this is an escape plan? Does he not understand it's an escape plan? Is he annoyed it's an escape plan because he still feel, believes in his ability that he has this under control? Um, I think that that's an interesting way of, of framing the episode, that maybe these are people trying to get Ben out of here, and Ben's the one who's kind of resisting, being like, no, I've got this. I'm sticking around. I'm staying. I'm not going anywhere. I, I, I think my favorite read on this, and we'll get this later on in, in the Ben Locke scenes, is that, as you mentioned before, like Ben knows what's going on, but he doesn't want Locke to know that he knows. So it's this really tricky balance, probably the biggest balance for Benjamin Linus yet, as to like, oh my god, this hatch could blow up, and I could die here, and the whole plan goes kaput. 
but also like I need to keep up my disguise here. So how the hell am I going to figure out it out? So like it's to the point where he he freaks out so much he knocks himself out with a cabinet and like I do feel the genuine panic that comes from Michael Emerson in this episode. A good amount of it comes from Benjamin Linus's sincere panic about the situation. Like I can imagine that he knows what's happening. It's probably only happened a few times before, uh, yeah. but when it has, he knows that like it is a critical situation. You know, because yeah. that's cutting them off from getting to the one thing they need to do to keep the status quo or put the island and by proxy the world in mortal danger. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 fascinating though. Like once he gets out, once Locke lets him out, at that point, I think for for Henry, like uh, for Ben. At any point, he could just like reverse the situation. I think like at that point, he's just like he's playing along. Basically, uh, I think he feels like eh, worst comes to worst, I'll just uh, strangle John Locke and choke him out and kill him, uh, and then go up through the air vents and go push the button in and blah blah blah. But hopefully, it won't come to that. Um, all right, so there's a flashback. Uh, it's it's the funeral for for Tony Coops. Not a lot of people at the funeral for Tony Coops, Mike. Yeah, I think um, there's one guy there in addition to the Reverend. And, and aside from, you know, obviously uh, the the two uh, thugs that we're going to meet later on. Oh, my God. I hate these guys. All right. So uh, there's like a little it's a really cute interaction between Locke and Helen. We get to have like a little slice of like what the relationship actually looks like uh, where she where she's trying to cheer him up. and be like, maybe he left you a kidney. Uh, really, really, really funny. Um, but let's listen in a little bit on what's going down at uh, Anthony Cooper's funeral. Some hijinks, Mike. For we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will live with the Lord forever. We commit the soul of Anthony Cooper to you, but we shall never be separated. And now we are united with Christ as we go toward him. Amen. Do you wish to say anything, John? I forgive you. Was that like the code word from Anthony Cooper? Like, I forgive you. Great. All right. Time to speed off. All right. Yeah. Now I know it's going to work. Now I know it's going to work. I think for him, uh, I don't I don't know. I have some questions about Anthony Cooper in this episode. And, And one of those questions is. Is he is he trying to ruin John's life again in this episode? Or is that just a byproduct of his existence? And I think it's more the second thing. I agree. Like I, I don't think he's staking out the funeral to be like, all right, John showed up, and now I'm just going to yeah. be an awful person to John. No, he's, like, he's not Tom Sawyering it. He's like, he's not purposely watching his own funeral to be like, oh, thank God, this my son's come after me. Now I can't extort in, him. I, 
I think he's in self-preservation mode for sure. I think that he wants to see what the, what kind of heat is on him. Um, if the if the mobsters are there, which they are, um, does that mean like I think that makes the difference of whether or not he feels safe enough to go and get the cash he needs to go and get out of the safety deposit box. Um, and then he sees John there, and I think like he connects two and two. Like I think it, it's like okay, now the plan is really starting to shape up in his head. Um, I think the saddest thing about all of this for me, Mike, is. If he doesn't show back up, John and Helen probably get married, and John Locke's life is a very different life. Yeah, we get, we get the sideways universe, basically, right? We, and, we, he's so close to it. He's so close to it. He's forgiven Tony Coops. And if Tony Coops wasn't still alive, I think that this would have been a moment where he actually was ready to move on. Yep. He abs- and I think this was the moment for him, because I Forgive You is such like a pertinent statement for him, considering that the very last... From what we saw, the very last conversation he had with Anthony Cooper was, and this is a reason why I agree with you that I don't think this is Anthony Cooper like wanting to wreck John Locke's life, is because the last conversation Anthony Cooper had with John Locke was, get lost, dude. I've conned so many people over the years. What makes you so different? And I think that, you know, Locke wanted answers out of Cooper, right? He sat him down and asked why. And this was finally Locke's moment to be like, I can stop asking questions now. I don't need an answer. I can just move on. And again, looking at the John Locke character we know from the island, you can tell how much of a pivotal flashback sequence this was, considering that this now made him realize, like, you know, he should never stop searching for answers. Like, the moment that he feels content with an answer is the moment that everything is stripped from him. Uh, I also love the speech that is given, uh, you know, from, from the, the biblical uh, nature of it all, specifically the we commit the soul of Anthony Cooper to you, but we shall never be separated. To your point, uh, Anthony Cooper is going to be a part of this guy's life forever in one shape or another. Um, all right, so back on the island, uh, Ben's just tweaking out in the armory. He's like, hey, what was that noise? Hey, talk to me. What the hell's happening? And that's like he's genuinely bugging out. Yeah. Because I think at that point, like it is this combination of uh you know is it are are my people doing this maybe he's like a little pissed off about it yeah i don't know how blaring do you think the noise is in the armory or do you think the armory is so soundproof though i guess the walls are thin so it's not like the walls are thin if he could overhear them arguing about dostoevsky uh you know the other day then like he could hear the alarm for sure he could hear like the like the 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 static and everything i though i guess maybe the performative element is the maybe you should get jack like, I don't know right. how much genuine sincerity there is in there or how much he's just like, oh, let me use this in to throw a jack dig in at Locke. Because I would imagine that, like, would this situation arise? I think Locke would be the more well-equipped person than Jack, considering that Locke seems to be more of the hatch expert than Jack is. Um, ultimately, I think that there is one specific way in which Jack is so much better equipped for this situation than Locke. But we'll get there. We're not quite there yet. Um, the blast doors do come down. Um, Locke panics. He grabs a crowbar from the toolkit that's nearby, and he's able to to wedge that underneath um, one of the falling blast doors. And it's actually really impressive um, the ability uh, to to get that door as high up as they're able to get it in the time allotted with the cro- with the crowbar yeah. as their starting like, point. Hella upper budget, especially for, for Henry Gale, who not only has like 
got harpooned in his shoulder a week yeah. ago, but also like has a tumor on his spine too. Yeah, yeah, super strength, really impressive. Yeah, I guess really, it's, really I guess this is like mom strength, right? Like the adrenaline's flowing, like this could be life or death. And I will say, we got a question from Benji Holder that was like, "Why did Locke not go for the toolbox like he did later?" It was a panic moment, and also I I assume that Locke's initial plan, which he tries in a little bit, is like, "Okay, let me use something to pry the door open." I don't think he realized just how heavy. And ultimately, how uh, painful the large, you know, stone metal doors would be. So he thought, let me just go through the crowbar here, and maybe I could get some leverage and be able to shimmy my way under it later. How and like how much quick thinking can you do in a moment like that? Uh, certainly, my stupid brain would not uh, yeah. compute he's, this nearly quickly enough. He's very lucky um, that Echo didn't take the crowbar. I know. Yeah, I would like your crowbar. Uh, like he has that, and if there is like actual decision making involved in that, then I think the crowbar is not a horrible choice because a the leverage that's involved, uh, but b it's small enough that like you don't know if you were going to throw the full toolkit in. Yeah, were you going to get it in time, or like were you going to miss? the the window of the sliding door but the crowbar is a sturdy object that is probably going to get uh to where you need need it to get to with the time that you have as the door is closing yeah it's a metal bar you know if if, if it causes a metal bar to crumble you know that this is a, a you're just dead yeah you're this dead. is a much sturdier door than you could have ever <laughs> dealt with in your life it's over if that's the case um all right so that's what's going on and you get the genuine absolute panic from ben what happened uh, so he's he's freaking out. Now he knows he needs to at least, um, uh, you know, engender enough trust in Locke to, to get himself out of the armory. Uh, meanwhile, back on the island, back at the beach, uh, shenanigans. And Jack, who was so freaked out about everything going on with uh, the possible ambush, he's about to, like, completely forget about all of it because he's going to get sucked in to the world of poker. Lay him down, Hurley. You got your beat. Dude, I got a killer hand here. No, you don't. But you didn't even know you where... You got a baby street. He's got the flush. What about me? What do I got? Hard to say, but you're just playing for the fun of it. Well, fun's not bad. You should try it sometime. Don't call him, Hurley. Hey, Amarillo Slim. Think because you watch poker on TV, you can tussle with the big boys. I got to head back to the hatch. Hatch ain't going nowhere, Doc. How about you put your mangoes where your mouth is? So I could play a hand or two. So as you mentioned, I love, what I, I love it when people compete on Lost. Uh, I just love the competitive sports aspect of Lost. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little surprised. So what I cut out from this scene earlier was that uh, before Jack wandered up and started backseat pokering, Sawyer was playing with Hurley and Kate, and Hurley was really trying to figure out uh, whether he should call Sawyer's bet. They're obviously using fruit for a pot right now. I'm a little surprised that after the backgammon of it all from season one, Hurley did not bet with money, but maybe he just doesn't want to tell that many people about his fortune. But yeah, we, we get, you know, Jack's involvement here. I will push back a little bit to the pushback on this storyline, because I do understand from a, from like Jack's perspective why he decides to move forward with the poker here. One is that, you know, Locke has made it very clear how futile for the moment 
pursuing this Henry Gale stuff is, right? Yeah. Like, he says, okay, and Lucy is already gone. It's not like Jack can catch up to them at this point. And, you know, he has trusted that Locke has locked up Henry Gale, and he assumes that Henry Gale's not talking, right? He's just effing with them at this point. The other thing that really... I think was going on with Jack, and it ties into the storyline in general and why I really enjoy it, is Jack is about to pull the long con on Sawyer. He's about to con Sawyer out of the medical supplies that he bogarted several episodes ago and made Jack and Locke look the fool. And I can imagine that Jack at this point needs a win. He wants some sort of control that he can rest, especially in the presence of someone like Ben Linus, who is really toying with him at this idea that you're not in control, the others are. I can see this as an opportunity for a win, for him to fight for the community that he is the leader of by being able to get something back that is so necessary that was stolen from him and embarrassed him so many weeks ago. Yeah, and there is just like that shot of like Jack's like, I'm really good at poker. Yeah. Like I can, I can definitely school Sawyer. There's just no question. Like he may just have like the way that like he's like, I'm a doctor. I'm a surgeon. I trust myself in that realm. Like he may trust himself as a poker player uh, to just like eviscerate Sawyer. Uh, and it, it is uh, an opportunity. I think you're right to like um, show the people on the beach that Sawyer isn't running the show, um, that the situation with Sawyer is reversible and will be reversed whenever he wants to reverse it. And he is going to begin the reversing process. Um, so I think that those are all good points. And I'm certainly not going to challenge it any further because I think that this storyline is so much more delightful than squashing a frog in your hand. Yeah. Uh, it's just so much better than the the subplot of one of them and makes Lockdown a better episode for me. Um, and Lockdown, uh, one of them got a 4.1 for me. So what is Lockdown? Good? I wonder. Oh, I wonder. Um, all right. So that's the poker game. Meanwhile, back at the hatch, Ben's freaking out. What's wrong? What's going on? Locke's just trying to do it all on his own. Um, he doesn't trust Ben yet, or at least he's not desperate enough to trust Ben yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's coming. That's coming. Also coming flashback scene. And look who it is. It's Nadia. Yeah. So I guess at this point, you know, after Saeed uh, was able to get her to escape, she was able to go back to the U.S., as was talked about in uh, The Greater Good. And- There's a pit stop in London, right? Because Charlie's oh, going right, to save her from a fight Charlie's going to get mugged. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, or she's going to, he's going to save her from getting mugged. So here she is checking out a house uh, from John Locke's welcome home renovation company. Mm-hmm. Coveralls <laughs> and all, Josh. Yeah. Uh, and that's not the only uh, familiar sighting for, well, I guess it's not a familiar sighting for Locke. If you knew who Nadia was at this point, that'd be very, very, very strange. Uh, but no, nearby, here he is, Tony Coop's. Anthony Cooper, she's like, hey, I'm here, uh, just hanging out, just watching you now. Isn't this awkward? And I think that that's one of the things that's great about this episode yeah. for me is like the the reversals, like we're on the other side of the hill of orientation, as you, as you point out. Um, and we, we get a little bit more of that in the first real conversation between Locke and Cooper uh, as they go for a drink and a little bit of a chat. What do you want? Look, John. I know what I did to you was wrong. You stole my kidney. I was dying. You could have asked me. You could have just asked me. What do you want from me? I killed myself off because there are two men out there who were going to beat me to it. What to do, steal their livers? No. 
I took them for $700,000. Retirement con. I put the money in a safe deposit box. But these two guys may be sitting on the bank to see if I show my face. Which is why I need you to go in there and get it for me. stupid I want you to take 200 grand of it it won't make up for what I did to you but it's the best I can do I'll be at the flight line motel it's out near the airport until tomorrow afternoon and then I'm gone money or no money and John if I don't see you again I'll understand so, Josh, first and most important question, who do you think the drinks were on? Uh, I think that the drink... Oh, I can't do this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do the full bit. Uh, there was like... Uh, I'll tell you, though, that like my first really big instinct, as you said, that was like, all right, so we're going to embark on a full 10-minute DJ drinks on me? Let's, let's go. Let's strap in. Uh, and it took me all of half a second to be like... That's an awful idea. You can't do any of this right Yeah, though I will say John Locke uh, <laughs> is leaving with no one by the end of this. Yeah, he is leaving with no one by the end of this. Uh, I also will point out, just in the spirit of like ridiculous uh, lost music that doesn't come from Giacchino, you should listen to like some of the Muzak underneath mm. uh, what's going on at the bar. It's like the, it's like it's not like the Seinfeld bass riff, but there is like this sort of like a do 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 do. Uh, just like you know that like they just like search into like the generic uh, music finder and it's like bar music uh, and it's, it's not good. Yeah, um, but th- this is a this is a big scene. Obviously, I mean, this is going to send Locke on a path that has him losing Helen. But still, like even though we feel like this is the most supplicated that Cooper has been, there is this one brief second that I noticed from uh, from Kevin Tilly's performance where he says, you know, he tells. When, you know, Locke says, like, you stole my kidney. And right before Cooper says, I was dying, you see his eyes dart away from Locke for one split second. And that, to me, is, like, still the con man in him, right? Like, you know he's looking for something to say, like, some BS excuse to give as to why he shut out Locke so that he's able to reel him back the way that he is. And again, if we're speaking with this episode as a mirror to orientation, in orientation... Helen gives Locke a key. Yes. In this episode, Cooper gives Locke a key. It's it's just it's a fantastic pairing cool. that I really didn't know about or really didn't see until we've been sort of powering through this on the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, cause I mean, you know, we're really trying to we could we could do this all over again and we would pick up on details we didn't see on this first watch. But this was certainly one that like I hadn't really connected before. Um how how Helen gave him the key back in orientation. Uh, and here, and she threw his keys, his car keys, over the over uh, the, the the you know the the gate for for Anthony Cooper's house. And now Cooper's returning, not with those keys, but with a key. Uh, and Locke accepting it is he's accepting the devil's bargain. Um, so it's it's bad. And I think that again, like I don't think that it's like Cooper actively wanting to destroy John Locke here. But I do think when he's saying, if I don't see you again, I'll understand whether you, you know, I'm leaving money or no money. That's probably true. Um, but I think that he feels like uh, John Locke's a sucker. Yep. You know, this is pretty easy. John Locke's a sucker, and I'm just going to be able to to get one over on him. Yeah, Anthony Cooper's leaving no matter what. He told Locke that. If he happens to get an extra 500000 out of it, that's fantastic. And so I think, like, when he really tells Locke, essentially, no pressure... 
Like, he wants that money, but I think the stakes are legitimate to him of, like, yeah, you know, if I leave with this, that's uh, without it, that's totally fine. But hey, I want to. I'm a con man. I want to squeeze out as much money as I can, especially from a guy that I assumingly will not see again, even though he will end up seeing him again. Hundred percent. All right, back on the island and in the hatch. Uh, Locke is just not going to be able to crowbar this deal all on his lonesome. He is going to need an assist. Let's hear the formal invitation from John Locke to Benjamin Linus for some assists. We're locked in. What? <laughs> These glass doors came down. The whole living area sealed off. I can't get out. Did you try to pry? Yeah, but I couldn't. Maybe... Maybe if the two of us... You want me to help you? Yeah. And if I do help you get these doors up, then you're just going to lock me back in here, aren't you? That's right. Then I'm going to need your word, John. I'm going to need your word that you won't let your people do anything to me well if you're who you say you are then what are you worried about things have happened to them things that i have nothing to do with but they've got no one to blame except for me so i'm gonna need your word that you'll protect me no matter what Henry Gale. I'm from Minnesota. And I crashed on this island just like you. All right. You have my word. <laughs> you got it wrong, buddy. Ugh. Ah! This is the man that's going to kill you. That dude's totally going to kill you, dude. Maybe uh, not today, but maybe not tomorrow. But a, a, but just a little while. Literally like like two months from yeah, now. And then, you know, and then it's a bit of a different location. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, one of the things I always loved about this scene is, uh, you know, Locke saying, we're locked in. And just Michael Emerson's, what? Just like what? Yeah, like, I heard you laugh. Yeah, very like <laughs> confused, but also incredulous. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Which again, yeah. he knows what it is, but he's really trying to to play up the confusion there. But yeah, such a good scene. Bold faced liar, and you know, and because you know, saying it before, uh, John Locke is a sucker. Uh, to connect that uh, to the things that you were saying about how Ben and Locke's lives are are really connected, and certainly they are. They will be, you know, uh, Ben will be among the final people. Um, that uh, John Locke ever sees. Certainly, Ben is the final person that John Locke ever sees. Uh, but in the afterlife, right? Like on their way towards whatever is next, 
uh, who knows how long Ben has to wait. Um, but he and Locke are going to have a very powerful exchange as well. Um, but that relationship is going to be, I think it's like the guy who's even darker and worse and in ways more desperate and in ways feels like he's got nothing to lose in a way that's more palpable and powerful and dangerous than even Benjamin Linus. That's going to be the guy when he calls John Locke a sucker uh, is going to be like a real horrible thing for the audience to hear because mm-hmm. the person who's saying those words looks so much like John Locke because it's Terry O'Quinn. Um, but I think it's also for like Ben, it's like it's uh, it's spine tingling. You know, it is it is it is bone chilling to, to hear those words, even from the monster um, once he's connecting who this guy is and what he's saying about John Locke. But right now, you can imagine that as Ben is saying, my name is Henry Gale. I'm from Minnesota and I crashed on this island just like you you sucker it's like the unspoken piece of it and i i love the fact that he's also continuing the same line that he did with anna lucia last week this whole martyr approach right of like oh i'm just i'm the one being pilloried because you know i'm serving as this representation of like what these people did to your people i don't understand why i'm being punished here like Clearly, he's trying a tactic on a more sympathetic party, and Lucia is far from a person to be receiving to that argument. But I think you could imagine, understandably so, that John Locke would be that person, especially when he's in such a desperate position. When Ben says, like, I need your word, you know, he he clearly has sort of seen the leadership situation and knows that as much as, uh, you know, Locke might feel emasculated by Jack sometimes, Locke's word does hold water. And so I think no matter what's coming next, for Ben right now. Having Locke on his side is a good thing, and this is going to be a way to get him on his side for episodes and episodes to come, in a manner of speaking. Yeah, I don't think that he thinks that Saeed's going to come back and with anything other than like support for his story, yep. so I think he thinks he's in a really good position right now. Um, speaking of good positions, Jack's feeling pretty good about the fact that he is just walloping Sawyer in in poker, and poker's really, uh, Sawyer's really puffing up his chest about it. Uh, and he, you know, he wants Jack to keep playing. Jack's ready to go. Also, Jack's drinking out of a Nalgene bottle. When did he get the Nalgene bottle? I, I want to know. I was wondering if that's from uh, from the hatch, but I wonder when those types of plastic water bottles really came into existence, and was that later than the seventies? That feels very like late nineties to me. The water bottle he's got there. So maybe that was something from like the luggage that somebody brought with them. I'm trying to. Re- well, I, I feel yeah, because I feel like in season one, they when they were funneling water from the caves, they used like the big oceanic water bottles that came yeah. from the the flight service. The Nalgene bottle was a great discovery. So uh, MVP points to the Nalgene bottle this episode for sure. Um, so Jack, he's got all the fruit. There's nothing more like it wouldn't be fair to go make you <laughs> go into the jungle and get more mangoes is so funny. And Sawyer just wants it back. Jack's like, it's just it's a pile of fruit, man. So he just wants it back. This is where Kate uh, comes in with uh, a line that is not as crazy as the line that Sawyer had some weeks ago about the load mm-hmm. that Hurley had to drop off. Uh, she says, should I go and get a ruler? Oh, I love uh, that. And I, and I, really great. And great, great line read on, uh, on Evangeline Lily. Yeah, and, and I think these are still also, this is in the chronology of Lost, right, where they're still trying to play up this Jack-Kate-Sawyer love triangle. It's been a while since we've dealt with it. You know, we dealt with it a bit in the long con, but it really hasn't happened happened uh since you know what kate did which i feel like jack acknowledged in that earlier clip i do feel like when he tells kate that she's just in it for fun i do feel like that's a bit loaded with like the okay yeah you you just like to do things for fun like i don't know kiss guys confusingly in the middle of the jungle and then run away and we'll definitely get some sort of uh wrap up of that very simmering storyline 
later on. But this is an opportunity for like her two guys to sort of duke it out. And she always has fun with that, even if she is serving as an intermediary. She really isn't here. I believe she also says like they're they're playing in the sandbox. Also, like uh, I'm gonna pull a Dallin Servo here and point out a Sawyer nickname, nicknaming Hurley Mongo, which is like a deep cut Blazing Saddles reference, which I love. Yeah, I'm not a big Blazing Saddles guy. I enjoy it. I think especially like given the context of modern day comedy, I think what it really did is revolutionary. I mean, listen, it it has a, a horse getting punched in the face. It's like, it's, it's incredibly absurd comedy. Maybe not my favorite Mel Brooks, but I think definitely a seminal comedy film. in well, the canon. if Sawyer was really a Mel Brooks fan in a Blazing Saddles fan, he would have punched the horse in the face in the jungle a few weeks ago. Exactly. That's how he would have known if it was real or not. Yeah, that's how he would have known. Um, all right, so they're going to keep playing, and they're going to play for real stakes. Uh, the medical supplies are, are going to be on the table. Yeah, but uh, so we'll- and I mean, Sawyer's going to ask later on, why did you not go for the guns? I also feel like well, Jack will say later on why he didn't initially, but I do also feel like this represents who Jack is as a person. Jack, especially at this point in time, is more defensive than offensive, to the point where like, when he is sort of on the move to attack, uh, he sort of gets overwhelmed at times. Like, he's a doctor. He's more meant to prevent things than to actively attack things. And so it makes sense that, like, if he was given a choice between medicine and guns, he would go for the former, while John Locke would definitively go for the latter. Uh, so they're going to keep playing. Meanwhile, Ben is out. He's going to help Locke, trying to wedge up the door. Uh, they're able to, like, get it up just enough so that they can wedge the toolbox underneath it. And it's like a it's a decent amount of space. Mm-hmm. You could probably crawl underneath it, but <laughs> buyer beware. You know you're in for a scare as uh, the the door does drop on uh, on Locke's leg. The sound is so oh, tough. Yeah, this is the sound design on it is is just. Ah. And this is the first time in a while since we've dealt with like lock leg trauma, right? Which we're, we're going to get in a more of a recurring basis. I feel like not since he had his legs taken away from him in the aforementioned deus ex machina have we really experienced it but yeah this is a little rough i mean i guess Locke should be grateful he did not sort of you know in survivor when we see that challenge all the time of like dig in the sand under that post some people choose to go head first others go feet first Locke should be lucky he went feet first because otherwise that peg is going into a much more unsavory place on john yes. Locke, it makes things a lot worse for him you would need more what than if crutches. it wins what if it went through his collarbone and then he and uh, Ben had matching uh, shoulder wounds? I think then they'd just be drawn closer together, right? Then they yeah, become like I the true so. twins of Lost. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but like, even like Terry Quinn does such a great job of like uh, articulating the agony yeah, that and, Locke is in. It's like, hurry up, hurry and, up, hurry and up. And that's the great and thing like, as well is that, you know, again, John Locke is usually a very steeled band to the point when this episode starts after the whole like, henry milk scene jack is freaking out Locke is just sitting there cool as a cucumber but here he is like screaming in agony and you could tell that this hurts real bad you know ben tries to pull him out and it turns out that no one of the actual pegs from the door is in his leg yeah and speaking yeah. of peg here comes helen norwood <laughs> yeah we'll go back to <laughs> helen now uh, as there's another flashback uh, and here we are. We're meeting Jimmy Bain. Jimmy Bain, aka like a, co- a coach weight cousin, in my opinion. Yeah, between like the seedy yeah. ponytail and the goatee. Yeah, I I was gonna try and do Bain voice for Jimmy Bain this whole way through, but uh, I don't I don't think that I have that in me today. 
Uh, you'll just have to imagine that he talks like this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if he doesn't get, if he, if Locke wasn't able to get the money, Jimmy Bain would use it to blow up a football stadium. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, so, so Locke is gonna get the money uh, for his dad. Thank God, uh, there's no like, you know, he doesn't have to stage a holdup or anything. I know. Some bank robbers. It's definitely the same bank from whatever the case may be, as far as like a, a shooting location. Uh, oh yeah. There's just like no question about definitely. it. Definitely. Exactly so the same. you know, we're maybe just all banks from this chain look the same. Between between Arizona and <laughs> California. I don't know. I have not inspected a lot of banks in my time. So no mole, you know, no rot. You know, I have, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm not on mold patrol on this one. Um, but Locke comes home. He comes to hell and he's like sniffing the hundreds. He's like, come on and put on your Sunday best. Here we go. Yeah. We're going, oh God, it's mobsters. I love the fact that when John Locke is like trying to, you know, get Helen, not in the mood, but like put her in a good mood. He pulls out like 1920s vernacular. <laughs> he's like, put on your Sunday best before yeah. in the first scene. He's like, um, you know, why can't a lady go with her fella on a nice picnic? I know. Put on your Sunday clothes. Yeah, uh, he's just like really yeah, going. Uh, and Locke saying hello, Jimmy, to uh, Jimmy Bain. I will also, <laughs> hello, Jimmy. I will also say Jimmy Bain's uh, toady, who does not speak, looks a lot like Danny McBride to me. Oh, I was going to say he looks a little John C. Riley. Ooh, I could see that. So like maybe a combo of the two. Yeah, but I think like in the Will Ferrell version of this movie, either one of those actors would be great as Jimmy Bain's toady. Yeah. Uh, you know, who's who's just like sort of like uh, just a total like grumbler who's just like... <clears throat> Meat. You know, like he just doesn't say anything. He's like, check out the bag, Tony. <clears throat> Money. Uh, like, he seems like a Frankenstein of sorts. Uh, Jimmy Bain just sucks. Please. Frankenstein. Jimmy Bain sucks. This dude's definitely connected to Hibbs and Gordy. Mm-hmm. He's definitely part of the Tampa job for sure. Uh, he wants to know everything. Where'd you, get the, where'd you get the bag, John? What's in the bag, John? And, Shut up, Jimmy Bain. Yeah, just work papers and stuff. And, he, you know, Jimmy Bain does get conned here as well. I don't know where Locke ended up putting this 700K. He could have just as easily left it in his car but the th- thugs seem pretty shaken they're like okay i guess we'll get out of here it's nice meeting you thanks for the he- coffee helen see you later yeah i would add jimmy bain to a list that does not yet exist but maybe should exist of characters from lost that i've if i ever get a chance to like do a deep dive with lindelof and carlton Cuse, that i'd like to know more about their backstories like maybe things that they would actually flesh out and answer mm. You know, they would never touch the outrigger, but maybe they would give us some sort of canonical explanation for Jimmy Bain. Yeah, I would also say, like, maybe also if you got the actor who played Jimmy Bain in an interview, <laughs> he would ask him, like, when I had the opportunity to interview the actress who played Susan uh, several yeah. weeks ago, like, you got to take those opportunities to ask about the lost role that they played, no matter how small it may be. For sure. All right. So uh, they're going to leave. There's no money in the bag. Good on good on lock. I don't know how he hid everything, uh, but he did. Um and Helen's like, was, were they? Were you lying to those men, John? Was is there something that you're holding back? Are you holding something back? And John says, No, I was telling the truth. I was scared. I was scared. And it's like, Ah, if only you just told Helen here. Like, all right. So listen, my dad's alive. I took a lot of money from him. I did this to help him out. I clearly have a problem. I need your help. Like, yeah. Like, like, this goes differently, but, like, he can't do that because it's an addiction. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, it's tough. And of it's all tough. people to lie to, like, Helen's awesome. Like, Helen's super chill. Like, you can tell this to her. Other people might freak out. And, yes, Helen... She's going to be furious. Oh, She's yeah. not going to like well, it. Well, I mean, but... yeah, because she tells Jimmy Bain earlier, like, how dare you think that John Locke's in cahoots with him? Like, you don't know how much he's done to him. But she's completely right. She's going to slap him later for all the stuff that, that she's, he's done to the person that she loves. But I feel like of all people, like she would be able to at least 
understand his perspective rather than him outright lying to her. And again, that's the, I wouldn't say fun, but like the, the, tr- the enjoyable tragedy that comes from this, right, is that it was completely avoidable on Locke's part. But instead, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that he's, he's going to lose everyone around him because of what he chooses to disclose to Helen, which is nothing. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh no, the blast doors are coming down. <laughs> I will also say, just think about that intro sucks. clip. The blast doors coming down definitely still less of an annoying noise than that flashback noise from Eternity League. For sure. For sure. For sure. Uh, cannot stand that noise. I, actually, maybe the blast door noise is a little pleasant for me. <laughs> Going up. <laughs> Oh, it's no, like music so to my ears. It's like the Muzak yeah. in the bar scene of lost yeah. sound effects. Boo boo. That's not so bad. You know? Not too bad. Not too bad. Doo, doo. Uh, all right. Meanwhile, uh, back at the beach, Jack and uh, Sawyer, they're playing uh, poker still and a little bit of foreshadowing for Stranger in a Strange yeah, Land. Yeah, which we haven't gotten since, what was it, all the way back in early season one when Jack and Kate are flirting about the tattoos. The tattoos. Look, they've got an inside joke. Mike, it's got to be no coincidence that we're talking tattoos again as you're still on the edge of what's your tattoo situation. Exactly. Hopefully I don't need to go to Phuket to get <laughs> one because this going to be a long time. If And when, when international travel, the blast doors come up on those in airport gates. Well, it is pronounced Phuket, Mike, but I uh, applaud you for not going with what you very easily could have gone with. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, Luckily, for, for listen, uh, I, <laughs> I, I would have been Quarter acting bloom. like a person from the grade <laughs> that Sawyer dropped out of, which is ninth. Yeah, yeah. Just because I dropped out in ninth grade doesn't mean I don't know where Phuket is. And I, uh, and I, I think this is actually, it's a, these scenes are really interesting from Jack and Sawyer's perspective. We'll, we'll literally hear from the other one later on, but I really feel like this storyline helps pick at this, like, book smart versus street smart difference between the two that stems all the way back to tabula rasa with that scene inside uh the cockpit or the the fuselage of like the i'm in the wild i'm in the wild where sawyer feels like the hey you might have you know your fancy book learning and your medical degrees but i got smart through experience at this well i could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves exactly like he'll so he mentions this he'll talk about how he knows the definition of amoxicillin later on like he's clearly displaying to jack like I know something. I was able to con you out of the guns last time. Jack will definitely, you know, get one over on him this time. But Sawyer's here to, and maybe that's another reason why he stays in the game for Jack specifically, is to prove to this guy, the brainiest of the brains from his perspective, that he's not some schmo who's a high school dropout and cons people for a living. Yeah, but still Jack's punking him on on poker. Uh, Like Sawyer's trying to deal from the top. Jack catches him. Had to try. Uh, always, as Jeff Probst would say in response. Uh, meanwhile, back at the hatch, Locke needs Ben to go through the pantry. That's going to be the best way to go through. And Ben's going to be like, well, the, the grate's bolted shut. I've already yeah. tried. I love Ben uh, just being up front of like, well, I tried to escape. Uh, I, and I guess it seems like off screen. He knows. He knows exactly what to do oh. here, though, right? Like, he knows that there's the other vent. He knows the layout here of the Swan Station. He knows that he could probably go through the pantry and not the armory. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is why he's like, he's, he's punking Locke this entire time. I mean, yeah, considering the fact that Ben parrots the numbers back to lock super quick like this is not a jack shepherd level of memory he knows these numbers at this point like he knows them a little too quickly and i guess speaking of the numbers it seems like off screen as lock was sort of prone on the ground seems like i guess he told ben about the numbers and the button considering sort of get dropped back in so i'm glad we don't need that exposition but yeah now ben can basically say like okay now my actual sense of knowledge is caught up with quote-unquote henry gale's sense of knowledge and we'll keep going 
but let's start sort of by getting up to the great in the first place, which proves a bit more of a trial than maybe Ben intended. No, I think it's intentional. So Ben climbs the the pantry to get to the vent, and then he wipes out, and that's when the beeps start coming in, right? Um, and the question is, like, who are we going to... Because we, we have to update the, 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 the beatdown counter right. uh, for, for Benjamin Linus, uh, the, the BDC, uh, or is it the BBC, B- the Ben the beatdown counter? Yeah, the B2B. Uh, like, I, I think that, like, we, we're gonna, we're gonna have to update it, but is the credit to the pantry for being so unsturdy as to kick Ben's ass? Or is it on Ben himself, who's like wiping out like he went to clown school? And I'm sure there was clown school in the Dharma Initiative. Um, like, who do you, who do you it, think it, taught that? Like Roger Linus? You know, is this like a rehearsed bit? Because the beeping starts, and that starts at four minutes, and he's going to regain consciousness before the beeping ends so that he's going to be able to input the numbers. If he actually wiped out, then you got to say that the pantry didn't do nearly a good enough job because he's back on his feet inside of a minute for sure. Um, but if he's just trying to like screw with John a little bit more and make him feel even more panicked, then I feel like the wipeout here is a great gag. I think it's just a gag. I think it's a lark. I don't know. I don't think it's a lark. It's that again, I think the panic that he wakes up with, like, how long was I out for? Like, I think if he could help it, he'd get up there immediately so that it wouldn't have to come down to crunch time. I do not think you know, Ben wants dramatics at the moment. He does not want it to be the one-second countdown like you do on any sort of action movie featuring a bomb before, you know, things stop. So I legitimately do think that it's just terrible shelf management on the pantry's part, and he knocked himself out, and he freaks out all the more because of it. I don't know. I think, like, Ben can take a beating really, really well. I think falling down from that height, it's like wrestling. Like, this is nothing. You know, it's just part of the act. Uh, but we'll we'll have to agree to disagree. But that's how I read it. I I think Ben is just like putting one on once again. No, I I, uh, I like ben- my thing just because it makes me imagine that Locke woke Ben up by just shouting at him. <laughs> Maybe he is like he like his his screaming is like the the smelting salts of uh, <laughs> screaming of, uh, salts of noises. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so back at the beach, Hurley, Kate, and Libby are watching the poker game from binoculars. Oh, I love that. He probably could get a little closer. Yeah, I don't know why they felt like they had to like well because Hurley thinks that the two of them are just gonna like throwed down fists at a certain point he's like ben and jack and sawyer are finally going to beat each other up so maybe they feared that like they want to be the gawkers prematurely uh but i uh i did like the the shot through the binoculars i feel like we rarely get that on lost the stereotypical like the shape of the binoculars outline to show that we're not watching this from a character's eyes perspective yeah (laughs) yeah it's just so strange to me um but here we are the resolution of the poker head-to-head between jack and sawyer it would be fun to talk through and i'm sure we will but first let's listen in 10 mangoes okay i'll call you with the aspirin and raise you a bottle of amoxicillin do you even know what amoxicillin is you may have been to Phuket, Doc, but I've been to Tallahassee. Let's just say something was burning and it wasn't from the sunshine. I'm all in. Well, that's a move, a man who wants me to lay it down. You're not going to lay it down. I'm not, huh? Why is that? Because there's a bunch of people watching us right now, and you don't want them to see you lose. Again.
I call. What you got? A pair of nines? You pushed in with a pair of nines? You caught me. Let's see him. Guess it was enough, huh? Son of a bitch. I'll come get the meds later. Hey. When I ask you what you wanted for stakes, why didn't you ask for the guns? When I need the guns, I'll get the guns. Damn. Is the guns like a is the guns a cut of steak that I've never been made aware of? Yeah, it's the one that's uh tastes like a gun holster. It just like tastes uh-huh. very leathery. <laughs> yeah. And just not a very good cut. I mean When I said you let's play for steaks, why don't you ask for the guns? Because it tastes like leather, dude. Yeah, I don't I'm want the leather like, one. I don't want to eat leather. Who do I think I am? Henry Gale? I'm not gonna eat yeah. any non-food objects. <laughs> yeah. Josh, I would say this is the most MVP Jack episode in quite some time. He yeah, is a for sure. He, is he crushes. A, like, he's crushing it. He's crushing awesome it. in this episode. He's like that blast door uh, down on Locke's leg. Like that's what he's doing to this episode. Just crushing. Yeah, I mean, he gets you know he's able to get the medicine back from Sawyer humiliates him as he says you know sawyer doesn't want to be embarrassed considering how much of a big daddy he became a few episodes ago to be embarrassed by jack in front of the camp and he basically big dog sawyer by being like oh yeah by the way like uh i'm definitely gonna come for the guns at some point so be ready yeah yeah it's awesome great scene really really great scene not a ton to talk about other than it's just awesome and and a great moment between um matthew fox and josh holloway i think they both play it super super well um, really, really fun. And a, a big win, as you say, for, for Jack in front of the crowd. Uh, he's literally got an audience on like the sidelines watching. Yeah, I did notice, uh, I think one of the gawkers looked like Jason Statham. So I sort of did like a double mm-hmm. take for a hot second. I love that guy. I love that gawker. Uh, he's one of the most notable gawkers to me. But yeah, he's showing up. He's like, oh, gosh, I got to get in on this. Like, I got to break the fourth wall and just hang out. Yeah, or like, uh, uh, oh, my God, I got to... Like, this is getting my heart rate up, which is good, because if it goes anything below, then I'll be able to, then I'll die. <laughs> yeah, he's in full crank mode. <laughs> Amazing. Um, all right, back at the hatch. So the, the beeping is still going on, and, and, and Ben wakes up. He's like, what happened? How long was I out? He's just trolling John Locke. It's so clear he's just trolling John Locke to me. I don't know. I still feel like he's, like, actually legitimately <laughs> coming out of into consciousness. I was like, oh, my God, what the hell? Like, how long was I out for? Uh, but he does get into the event eventually. I guess he used another shelf, or maybe he just stepped around the real janky one. No, that's why, because he knew what he was doing. It's no problem to get so what, into he the He knew vent. what he the could... bad shelf was? It wasn't a bad shelf. He threw himself off. It was a gag. It's a gag. He's just messing with Locke. It's a joke. It's a gag. It's a gas. It's a gas. Like the stuff that comes out in the Tempest. It's a gag. Oh, boy. And you start to gag on the gas from the Tempest. It's a ruse. It's a ruse. Uh, so he's he's going to go through the vents. He's going to really take his time through the vents. Uh, Locke is calling for, for Ben. No response. The alarm is really getting yeah. aggressive. Okay, we're getting kind of close here, Henry. Cutting it kind of close, and we're not going to know what the resolution of it is until we get through the final flashback of the episode. And the final flashback of the episode, of course, involving John going to the Flightline Hotel. There's the Oceanic oh, Airplane in the background. Terrible, terrible location. Considering if planes really are like taking off and landing right nearby, nobody's getting any sleep there at all. No, nah, definitely not. He's going to go to Tony Coop's. Uh, he's going to give him the stuff. 
tells him, I'm, I'm about to get engaged because Anthony Cooper's asking about the woman he was with at the funeral. And, like, doesn't it kind of seem like, just like to the degree that Anthony Cooper can have, like, actual feelings as a human being, doesn't he seem like he's kind of like, hey, congratulations, this money will get you, like, on a honeymoon. Like, I think in, like, his diseased, awful brain, he's like, I'm making up for it. I'm giving John this money. This is something that's now off my back. I can move on with my life and never think about him again and, like, feel like I walked away from this doing something, like, quasi-good for my son. But when Locke says, like, I didn't do this for the money, there is that look on Cooper's face. It's like, oh. And he realized, like, well, I'm I'm not going to be able to give this guy what he wants. Yeah, that's the thing is I, I also do wonder, like, how much – he was sort of treating Locke as like uh, a confidant, like a coworker of like, hey, thanks doing, for doing this favor for me, bud. Because again, like he has no feelings whatsoever towards John Locke. Again, in, in his eyes, he's just one of the many people that he's conned over the years. But the minute that Locke says he didn't do this for the money, uh, you know, Cooper tries to play it off with like the, hey, well, if you don't want to take it, the man's going to get a hell of a tip. But it seems like Cooper's a little unnerved at this point, right? Of like, oh, uh, it didn't leave a profound effect on this guy. Well. Time to go, awkward. but there's awkward. someone standing awkward. in the door. Yeah, all right. So I guess we got probably have to hear this, right? Ugh. Yeah. All right. Though I will say, uh, I've realized, Josh, that I think maybe my favorite piece of music in Lost honestly might be the Deus Ex Machina music. And yeah. once again, it comes into prominence. We heard it a bit during mm. the funeral, but we're going to hear it very, very prominently in this sound now as Helen Norwood says goodbye to John Locke. Are you him? Listen, sweetheart. How could you? How could you do this to him? We were moving past this. Helen, wait. Helen, wait. You don't understand. I was going to tell you everything. You lied to me. I, no, please, I can explain. You looked me right in the eye and you lied to me. You've made no, your choice, no, John. No. You need his love more than mine. No, my choice is you. I was going to... I love you. I, no, no, please, 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 Helen. Please, I love you, and, and, and I want to spend my life with you, and, and I can't live without you, Helen. So... So... Will you marry me?
don't think that we see Helen again until season six. Um, yeah, until the Cyborgs universe, because she dead. Uh, w- She's gonna die. We'll see her grave. Yeah, we'll but, see her uh, grave during the the Jeremy Bentham of it all, thanks to Matthew Abaddon. But yeah, I mean, this is sort of like a goodbye to in Helen Norwood in our time, and God. It is so heartbreaking, but it's it's weird to ascribe this adjective to it, but it's so beautiful at the same time. Like, this is so tough to watch, but because it's so in line with John Locke's character that out of desperation of losing, like, the one person who likes him for him in his life, he proposes to her right there, right then, and she says nothing. She nothing. just gets in the car and and leaves him on his uh, knees and drives away and it is brutal and it wa- awful it's awful but it 100% like makes you track as to why the John Locke we have today is like a man you know sprawled down on his back with a with yeah. a door deep into his like this is a guy who has been fundamentally shaken by the people that he trusted in and so he is someone who always wanted to live from then on out as like every man for himself like, I can't trust anybody because everybody who I do trust ends up leaving me and betraying me. I cannot open my heart in a manner of speaking. And so it's even more prominent that when he finds things like the island, the fact that he does open his heart up so much is almost like overcompensating for the fact that he has not been able to do that with any human in the past. And I just think it is an absolutely touching scene in in all the worst ways. I think that Helen is, I personally think Helen's totally in the right here. Like, I think that, yeah, I it's agree. not. It's I not agree. just a thing. To, it's not just about Locke lying. It's about Locke lying about this type of thing. Like you said, like if we ascribe the addiction thing, this is Locke getting back on the wagon and not telling Helen, who you know is supposed to be his best friend, his partner in life, especially when it comes to like being his sort of sponsor with this anger management as well. And so she feels hurt and she feels betrayed, and I'm sure she regrets not calling Locke or you know trying to patch things up in the years since, but. But he goes off the grid. He becomes a dope fiend. Exactly. So she, he doesn't really provide her the opportunity. And the other yeah. you know, big piece of this that really digs in the knife is when Helen drives away, we see the person left in frame is Anthony Cooper. And, and Cooper similarly just wordlessly gets in the cab and drives he does, away. But there's, this, there's this look on his face where he's like, shit, none of this went well. Uh, like, I got the money and that's great. But like, ah, man. Because uh, like, I do think like... This is this is the best by far <laughs> Anthony Cooper that we ever get. Low uh, bar. Very low bar. Uh that this is probably I would I would venture a guess that of his adult life this is probably the best like period of time for Anthony Cooper is this moment where he thinks that maybe just maybe he's going to be able to make this up to John Locke. You know, we heard it from Locke's mom how like he was always very generous to me with money like this is like his version of that to John. And he thinks that he's resolving it. And instead, he's just such a black hole of doom that he has sucked his son into his vortex and has resulted in horrible heartbreak. Uh, if Cooper already robbed Locke of a kidney, now he's taken his heart too. And soon he'll take his spine. Yeah. So it's just he's constantly All the just robbing Locke of body parts. Like he's, you know, operation. Yeah. Right? You know, he's, yeah. he's saving the funny bone at least. Um, so it's it, but but there is this look on Cooper's face where he's like, "Damn it!" Well, like this guy's he's not going to be able to move on from me. He's still probably going to be thinking about me. Yeah. So like, it's, I think it's all still selfish stuff. But you do get the sense that Cooper doesn't feel fantastic about anything. Yeah. Else. But then I also you say that in one breath, and then you also remember that like this guy was totally fine hearing the news that you know Sawyer's parents 
did a murder-suicide in response to what Cooper did. Like, I wonder how much of this is just hazard pay, even though this guy is technically his son. I feel like he doesn't feel like it whatsoever. So maybe there's some residual guilt, but it's far from enough for Cooper to be like, let me stop down and see how he's doing. You know, he's like, well, I got a flight to catch, so I guess I better go. Yeah. All right. So back on the island, no more dilly-dallying. Uh, maybe we won't stay on here for quite as long right now. I think we, we've got a lot of great feedback on mm-hmm. everything. But here, here it is. The blast door map has arrived. Uh, the counter goes nuts. The power goes out. Uh, John's calling for, for Henry! Henry! And then everything turns bluey on him. Uh, the black light is on. You see it. You see the blast door map. You see, this, this segment is like a full 30 seconds of Locke looking at the door, look us looking at the door, us looking, us at, looking Locke, at Locke, looking, looking at, the, at door. the door. I love that shot as well of the map being reflected in Locke's eye, just because, again, we're talking about this eye symbology in Lost and having him take in things and us by proxy. I also love the use of the black light, obviously, to sort of uh, show things that can be hidden in plain sight, but also the fact that from a color perspective, this is a light that we have not seen before and we're going to get sort of a hint of it right with the with the purple sky that's going to come in the season two finale but this also just really hammers home how this is a completely new rogue element into loss that's neither black nor white it's purple baby it's purple baby um and this is why i was saying before that there is a unique thing about this situation that i think jack would far and away trump lock on if it if the Mm -hmm. tables were turned Jack has that photographic memory, yeah. man. Like he, and we've we've seen it a lot this season, uh, where like he, he remembers numbers very well. He just remembers details. He remembers faces very well. He sees you once, and he knows who you are for the rest of his life. Um, he he will never make the Scott and Steve mistake. You know, like he knows everything. Uh, he'll be able to correct Anna. Uh, you know, uh, on that point. Um, so if he had if he had seen the blast storm map for a second. He knows every single detail. Right. He's got the full picture. Uh, Locke has 30 seconds with the thing, and he struggles to make the map, uh, as we're going to see uh, in episodes moving forward. Yeah, Jack, so. Jack doesn't need a napkin. Like He's got that all in the top of his head. Mm-hmm. He could do a full recreation of it. So yeah, I would say that for the future, you know, when it comes to the question mark of it all, maybe Jack would venture on that quest a little quicker than episode 21. Uh, but yeah. yeah, unfortunately, Locke is the one that sort of is, is privy to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so we will uh, we'll we'll, t- we'll stop down for the blast door map yeah. of it all uh, in a little while. Let's let's finish through the recap of the episode, but we'll definitely get into it because how can we not? Um, ben is going to return to lock and uh, Mike. Look at you, you're breaking format. You want a you want a half sound? Yeah. Here? So I put it in a sound seven point five because I feel like this connects so much with the flashback that again that just really shows how great these two stories are tied into one another so the blast doors do come up that painful peg is out of Locke's leg much like the painful peg has left his life and so Locke, you know desperately crawls into the computer room sees that ben is not there is calling for him and here comes a familiar sound with a familiar voice as it turns out that ben came back let's listen in is anybody here Henry! You came back. Would oh, you think I was going to leave you here? Come on. Can you stand? I don't... I think so. 
Thank you, Henry. Thank you for not leaving me. You're welcome, John. That's and great. It's, it's, That's it's really like a great. minute long scene, but I wanted to put it in there again, especially compared to the flashback, because when you hear Terry O'Quinn say like, thank you for not leaving me, God, it just makes your heart break so much because, and you, you know, that Ben is thinking, you're welcome. You sucker. Yeah. <laughs> like That's what's happening on the other side of that conversation. But this, this is where I feel like the relationships formed. I think this is a major reason why Locke keeps trusting Ben the way that he does to his detriment is because a moment like this where he's like, you were the leader of the others, but you came back for me. And he has trusted so many people in his life who did not come back for him, who left him sprawled out on the ground, emotionally speaking. Henry Gale, whether he's Ben Linus or not, came back for him. And that means something to John Locke. And you can tell, I think Terry O'Quinn does an incredible job, again, in just this minute-long scene with how much this moment and gesture means to him. Like, the you came back is sort of, like, half exhaustion coming from John Locke's experience, but also, like, half ecstasy, right? Like, oh, my God, I'm not an alone loser. Someone in my life actually cares about me enough to come find me, and I don't have to drag myself to get medical care. It's pathetic, but that's been John Locke's life up to this point. And so from his perspective, it is a huge breakthrough moment, even though we know in the scheme of things he is now getting involved with the guy who, yes, on the surface may have helped him up, but he is going to push him down into the depths of hell much, much later on. Yeah, I think we're, we're pretty close to it's either going to be next episode or the episode after. I'm, I'm not entirely sure on the timing where where Ben, as he's still you know a prisoner, is going to tell him, why do you think I was coming here, John? I was coming for you. Yeah. So like he's, go- he's going to continue pushing that relationship. And I think that that's got to be a lingering thing uh, for, for John Locke. Um, moving forward to at least the first wave of their their relationship, right. he's going to be handsy with him yeah. along the well, way. Well, but. I think it's it's yeah, it's, it's this idea of like yeah, like we may you know have our differences, but we always had the lockdown incident. You know, it's almost like we've been through something together, and so he feels bonded to him in that particular way. Again, it's going to get very complicated, but this is one of like the first gestures of trust that Locke has had on Talon. Remember, he's the one that's usually giving orders, or he's the one that's sort of doing stuff on his own and having other people follow him. In this case, he really had to take that leap of faith and put it in somebody else when he has fallen many, many times before, and this time has succeeded. And you can imagine that pays dividends for him down the line. Again, it's going to be have a super depressing outcome for John Locke, the person, later on. But in the moment, his heart is soaring, and you can see like the smile they exchange between one another is just it's so nice but so heartbreaking at the same time well, meanwhile, yeah because meanwhile for ben like what this reads as for ben is all right it's working yeah, he it's working him. i i hooked lock i'm gonna be able to hook jack if i can hook lock i'll be able to hook jack saeed's gonna come back everything's gonna be rosy Anna's gonna come back everyone's gonna buy my cover story i'm gonna be allowed into the group and then I'm going to be like, ah, something, something wrong with my back. Hey, Jack, would you mind uh, checking that out after I fell? After I yeah. fell. See, that's part of it, Mike. That's part of oh. the ruse. He had a witness. He had Locke watch him fall. He's going to be like, oh, something was wrong with my back. I fell as I was trying to help Locke. Oh, let me check that. Oh, my God, you got a tumor. He's like, oh, what are we going oh to do? Oh, my God. This- oh, well, the choir saw this. Uh, this uh, Kate's going to be like, oh, there was this medical station that was here at, some, at one point. Uh, Jack's going to be like, oh, do you think that there's anything we can use? And Ben will be like, oh, we got to look. We got to at least try. And then they'll show up at the staff 
gas station, suddenly it's like fully staffed. I know. It, it, it writes itself. The plan makes so much sense. Uh, here's a line. I'm going to draw the line at the carcinogenic shelf, personally, but I'll follow your logic <laughs> to a certain extent. If the shelf it had nothing to do with it, it had nothing to do with the shelf. It was him throwing himself off the shelf. <laughs> do you think you could get away with it with like, I never trusted that shelf? I never trusted that shelf. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, all right. Well, whatever. We don't need to go, <laughs> <laughs> go any further down that. Yeah, let's not go down the hatch of the shelf giving uh, Ben cancer. Right. Let's, let's, let's shelve that for now. Uh, no, it's not that it would give him cancer. He'd be like, oh, my back hurts. I fell off the thing. Jack's like, all right, well, let me take a look. And then it's simultaneous to that. He's like, oh, well, it's nothing about the shelf. You have a you have a tumor. Oh, so it's like it's like the Courtney Moon thing, yeah. right? Of like, oh, I hurt myself in this one thing. Oh, by the way, I'm glad you came in because this other bigger problem is happening. Is that what happened to Courtney? Yeah, Moon? she when she broke her wrist, she went to the doctor, and then she was told that she had like I don't know if it was cancer or like a very serious disease. Oh wow! Oh, I had no idea. Uh, you're breaking news to me. Yeah. Or at least it's not something that I remember. Um, but something like that. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's a Courtney Moon, is what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Uh, is is what is what would be going on here? All right. So uh, outside of the hatch. Uh, Jack and Kate, they're going to reunite. She wants to go and take a shower. Uh, he says, yeah, you can't do it. The plumbing's busted. It's cracked pipe. She's like, ah, I guess I wasted a trip. But then she says, I'm glad you beat Sawyer. And Jack's like, well, if you'd like me to uh, walk you back to the beach, uh, yeah, and, and, I'd be thrilled to do so. And I would say if there is one weak part to what otherwise is a perfect episode of Lost, maybe it's this. Uh, you know, obviously we're going to get the two of them finding the pallet drop, which is another big game changer, at least for the time being. But I don't know if we need to see like Jack coming up with the weak ass excuse of like, oh, the plumbing's busted. So you can't come take no, a shower. I, I think it's I think it's kind of cute. It's a little high school. I, I, I like it. I think it's funny. I think I, I think, think the offer to walk back is fine. I think that for so, being such an MVP of this episode, uh, Jack leaves a little bit more to be desired from when he comes up with just such a lame ass excuse to Kate as to why she can't go to the hatch to take a shower. Yeah. All right. So the pallet uh, is going to drop. It's going to catch their attention. Look, there's a mac and cheese supper in here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so I also love that. Saeed's going to show up. And if Saeed hadn't shown up, Mike, you know that Jack and Kate were just going to stalk off in the jungle and hoard that secret mac and exactly. cheese. Exactly. Everyone just has their own separate hoard, their own separate kitchens <laughs> in the jungle. But yeah. I mean, this also is a nice little moment uh, from what how the characters would approach things. Like Jack is super cautious about it and Kate just digs right into it. Right, yeah, and, and that yeah. shows, again, the type of person that Kate is. But they run into another presence, uh, this one more of a moving presence in the form of Team Balloon. And again, a little bit of a deception here. The look that Saeed has on his face is rather serious. And you think for a second, like, okay, he was the big skeptic for this balloon escapade. He is, you know, uh, sort of hanging his head in shame, tail tucked between his legs because he was wrong. But oh no, he was not wrong whatsoever. No, he was not. And it leads us into the ending, a really great ending here on lockdown. Let's just listen to it in full. What did you do? What did you do to end it? Make the doors go up? I did what you told me to. I punch in the code and I press the execute button, but nothing happened other than that clock flipping back. I was just climbing back into the vent when the lights went out. Ten seconds later... The doors went up. I didn't do anything. So, you think it was all just random? Don't look at me. It's your hatch. Get away from him. Wait, you don't. Step back right now. Said it's okay. I, I said get away. Hey, all right. I let him out. It was some kind of lockdown or something. He, he was helping me. 
Couldn't you find my balloon? Yeah, we found it. We did find your balloon, Henry Gale. Exactly how you described it. We also found the grave you described. Your wife's grave. The grave you said you dug with your own bare hands. It was all there. Your whole story, your alibi, it was true. But still I did not believe it to be true. So I dug up that grave. And found that there was not a woman inside, there was a man. A man named Henry Gale. And that's when uh, Ben looks up at Saeed. The the jig is up, and he's thinking to himself, I should have just eaten the body. <laughs> Why did I not eat my Why wife? did I not eat my wife? <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot to unpack there. Uh, ben continuing to, to mess with Locke was saying, I didn't, pu- I didn't push anything. Uh, and I didn't do anything, which clearly is a, a lie, bold-faced yeah, but lie. He's, but again, he's trying to, to fuss with Locke, because Locke, he really, again, has Locke sort of testing his own faith with being like, wait, oh... Maybe it was just random. So again, Locke's like devotion to all this. Now he's sort of taking the Jack approach of like, okay, wait, maybe they're we're doing this for no reason. Which the more that Locke is doubting his central convictions, the more he can sort of, uh, you know, fall into Ben's sort of pitfalls here. But I love the reason why I included the full ending there is because I love how quickly the scene changes. You know, oh, like it this, changes so they're, so they're, wonderfully. It's, it's like chummy a bit and a little mysterious with the Ben and Locke stuff, and then immediately as soon as Jack and the crew rush in, and you see like. Even leading up to the reveal, you see, like, you pan to everyone's faces. Charlie looks, like, super sullen. Kate has this, like, absolutely shocked, dumbfounded look on her face. It's clear that, like, she is just completely shell-shocked as to the news. And here it is, Josh. Finally, after over a month of wondering, is this guy an other or is he who he says he is, we finally, finally get confirmation he is not... Henry nope. Gale and oh, I love this ending so much. It's so great. It's so great. It's so great. It, it had been you know the point of uh, the the central point of tension for the last several episodes is is this guy who he says he is or is he not? And now definitively he is not. But we still don't know the full extent of who he is. Right. So the next few episodes that we're going to have of him being locked in the hatch are still deeply compelling. Um, but this is just it's a it's a wallop of an ending. Like if the ending of the whole tooth, uh, sorry, the whole truth is uh, is you know the funnier uh more sinister ending in its own right like this is sinister in its own way like his whole body shift yeah he goes from panic yep yep he goes from panic like his slumped shoulders to just like stiffening up looking straight up at saeed just being like all right fine all right let's just move on to the next phase and i love saeed pulling like a hercule poirot here and like also giving the dramatic reveal as well, like, telling the full story of, like, your alibi was good until I dug up a man, and I just love ending with a man called Henry Gale. And we get to see, you know, real-life Henry Gale there, and it, it's much like this episode, right? Like, he feeds us false information, or at least, like, being led along a certain path and a certain narrative when it turns out that the truth was completely dug underneath the surface, and only through digging did we have to see what the truth was, and it's just... It's a wallop of a surprise. It's a fantastic culmination of this arc, even though, like you said, there is an epilogue to come. And this is definitely an ending, in addition to the last one, where you're like, 
God, I need to see what happens next. Because now this episode, we saw Ben be super nice to Locke and be so caring for him and being able to, you know, help him when he's inconvenienced. And this guy turned out to be an other. What the hell is going on? It is an incredible, incredible ending, in my opinion. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, so lots still to unpack here uh, here on Down the Hatch. We haven't really even gotten into the Blastor map of it all. So let's go ahead and do that in our feedback section. But before we get in, let's just take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Support for today's episode comes from Progressive Insurance. Fun fact, Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and of course, being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or ad renter's insurance save an average of 12% on their auto. There's so many ways to save when you switch. And once you're a customer with Progressive, you get unmatched claim service with 24-7 support online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. So get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Home and renter's insurance not available in all states, provided and serviced by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. Mike, let's talk about that Blastor map. Um, and there's a few there's a few questions about the Blastor map because we know retroactively, and just to reset that for people who who maybe don't remember, that the Blastor map was drawn by Rosinski. And Rosinski is going to be like one of like the main Dharma bullies, <laughs> for lack of a better word. You know, he's gonna be one of the antagonists of of season five in the 70s. He's just like this massive douche with a huge axe to grind against everybody. Um to the point that my friend uh, Jim Gibbons, who has been a, a, a host here on Post Show Recaps from time to time, back in the day uh, covering the Defenders with me and some other Marvel projects, uh, Jim used to be really up in arms about how Lost never gave us a satisfying enough answer for A, why Rosinski was such a jerk, and B, uh, that they don't like give us enough closure on Rosinski for being such a jerk. Like We don't get to see nearly enough comeuppance for Rosinski, to which I say, Rosinski kills himself. Yeah. Rosinski gets banished to the hatch. Look at that stain on the ceiling. That's you know? Rosinski's Stragoy, Stragoy, Stragoy for sure. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely rough for Rosinski in the end. But as for this question about the Blastor map, he, he creates the Blastor map. And if Rosinski, who's like really hooked into the Dharma Initiative's operations, then why does Rosinski have like such a like kind of like a Swiss cheese brain for everything that he's creating on the Blastor map? Um, it's, it's a question that's raised a lot. Um, and Ben, uh, ben, Mar- ben Martell, the Ben behind the curtain, points us in the direction of a conversation between script supervisor Greg Nations and the fuselage. And in that conversation, Greg Nations uh, mentions uh, the messages on the map, they can be considered canon, but keep in mind who wrote those coded messages to begin with. It starts with Rosinski and then it's Kelvin. What were their states of mind when creating it? Can they really be trusted? Um, Ben continues. This is from Ben. 
The Swan should have been completed in 1977 or 1978, and Rosinski immediately occupied it and continued to stay there, pushing the button until his death. The purge of the Dharma Initiative featured in The Man Behind the Curtain occurs in 1987, and the others didn't purge Rosinski, and so may have somehow been unaware of the Swan or Rosinski's ongoing survival. Or Mike, and this is me, uh, my question is, are they like, well, that guy's just pushing the button anyway. Let's just keep letting him push the button, and we'll watch him from the pearl. Yeah. That guy sucks. Um, but I do think that like, if you accept that Rosinski is in there pushing the button as some sort of punishment for letting everything go so wild off the rails then by the time he starts making the blast or map which seems to be around the time that kelvin's showing up which seems like it would be late 90s early 2000s somewhere in there um then if that's the time when he's doing it and he's been down there since the 70s yeah you would be able to forgive him for having a little bit of a swiss cheese brain just from the time that he's been spent in this you know spending in this bunker but also how close he is to like the electromagnetic energy mm-hmm. who knows what kind of impact that has oh, his, his feelings brain. are hurt so badly his his feelings hurt very bad uh, that wall has killed his feelings. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. This Blastor map always seemed to me like the scrawlings of a madman. And I think that just shows, like, the isolation of the hatch and the effect it has on a person. Remember, this is a guy who was in there all alone until Kelvin came, had to get up every 108 minutes to press the button. That leaves you a little manic to begin with. I think once we get into, like, him scrawling Latin phrases uh, onto the wall that you could tell that he's not completely all there. Um, and maybe right. I guess the thing that people are talking about, about are about, like, the stations, right? How, like, the Tempest isn't in there, or how the, the Pearl is just one big question mark. But I still believe that when it comes to the hierarchy of the Dharma Initiative, that there were some people that were completely in the know, but even some of the higher-ups were, were not letting in on everything. You know, like, yeah. I don't think Brzezinski would be let in on the Pearl, because if you're trying to do these sort of, like, double-blind experiments, why would you let them know about the surveillance station that was happening? I think the Dharma Initiative was very much about a needs-to-know basis, especially with the people that are high up in status. So I do not begrudge Brzezinski for not necessarily knowing things or maybe forgetting about, you know, where the Hydra station is, where the Tempest station is, and why that's not on the map. Yeah, I think there's so many reasons in the book why that would work for me. Uh, you've, you've touched on many of them. Um, let's talk about the text of the map. Um, Javier Griot Marks Watch, responsible for the text Ooh. on the map. So th- is this like uh, his last legacy then in Lost? Considering that his last episode was a them. while ago. Yeah, it's among them. I think that, you know, he, he had said that there was like enduring ongoing work that he was, he was still doing as part of like ARG stuff. Is this tied in? Um, but that's really cool that this is on Javi. Uh, some highlights from the Blastor map. Um, there's Cerberus and CV, mm-hmm. which is revealed as the Cerberus events. Uh, it's Dharma's name for the monster and the way it appears from the ground. In Greek mythology, Cerberus is the watchdog of Hades guarding the gates of hell. Its three heads represent the past, the present, and the future. Yeah, I mean, we this sort of goes... Uh, in line with what Rousseau was talking about with the security system, where for a while mm-hmm. everyone thought that the monster was the security system for the others. And we'll find out later with the uh, sonic fence, David Healy, that it, it's it's less <laughs> so about that and more so about keeping the monster out than bringing it in. Yeah. Um, there's the first references to the flame and the pearl and the sonic fence, which is referred to as a safety barrier. Uh, although in that case, they were supposed to be no stations outside the safety barrier protocol. It was clearly broken. Um, there's references to magnetic interference preventing or affecting the Dharma experiments. 
You get your first reference to Magnar Hanzo mm. being connected to the Black Rock, implying the connection between the Hanzo family and the island uh, going back for generations. Yeah, and there's there's some other interesting like date stuff in there as well. Like they said, there were um, there's a Darmatel intranet that got shut down three times: once in 2000, once in 2001, and once in 2003. There's also something in scrawled on it that said like suspected shutdown date October twenty eighth, nineteen eighty four, which I always thought was interesting. Of like, were they just was that when they were intended to pull uh, Radzinski out that they had like found a solution to it? Like, why did he pencil that in as a shutdown date, and what did he do after that? There's also uh, sp- speaking of like the the Cerberus system, they said that the Caduceus station, which is the staff, uh, was believed to be a- abandoned due to an incident in 1985. So even after uh, we see the staff abandoned in maternity leave, it seems like there was another incident where the staff station was mm. abandoned as well. Yeah, so lots of history here. Uh, there's a, there's, a, there's there, also like there's oh, a, go ahead. No, there was just a, there's the seventh hatch that yeah, was uh, apparently yeah. in development. Yeah, something it was ab- uh, about large number of underwater springs, heavy water table. I thought for a second that meant the looking glass, considering it was underwater. But I guess this is alluding to like another station that just wasn't uh, actually built. There's also all sorts of Latin phrases that are scrawled all over the map. And if I even attempted to pronounce any of the Latin, uh, I would just have to like claw my own ears off. So instead, I'll just tell you uh, what the translations are. Uh, in Latin, uh, there is the cure is worse than the disease, uh, which can be found next to the staff station. I don't know what that means. Mike. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's this idea again of like the sickness of it all. And mm-hmm. if we're going along with the logic that uh, the the inoculations that were given in the hatch specifically were a placebo, then maybe it's this idea of, like, the the rigmarole of it all was driving him crazy, and so that's what he was sort of alluding to. Uh, there's Latin for, I think, therefore I suffer. Gotta imagine that's written after 1984, when <laughs> Rosinski realizes, oh, I guess I'm not getting out of here. Uh, I'm stuck here forever. Right, the more he thinks about his situation, the more he <laughs> suffers because of it. So he really tries to become almost like a mindless drone to the point where he he gets out rid of his brain in a manner of speaking. You know, and to think about that, he it also says, save yourself from hell. Uh, we've talked about the hatch as hell, mm-hmm. so that really tracks. He also says, here be dragons. Um, I don't know if there's actual literal maybe, dragons on yeah, the maybe island. Maybe that was the seventh, uh, the seventh Dharma station. It was supposed to be a place to house the dragons. Well, wasn't there? Isn't there allegedly a volcano on the island mm. that was supposedly going to play a major role in the series finale, uh, and they didn't have the budget for it? Maybe much like uh, old Valyria to tie this back to Game of Thrones, as we're recording on the one-year anniversary of the Game of Thrones series finale. Could the island be old Valyria? Ooh, I can imagine something where now a dragon—you know—they don't press the button, so a dragon flies into the hatch. It takes one look mm-hmm. at John Locke, then it turns to the hatch and burns that instead, and flies away uh-huh, forever. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, I think the cure is worse than the disease. We know that they keep like loading themselves up with the um, with what they believe is like some sort of inoculation. Maybe it's like it means like that process, like having to do this every day. I'd rather be sick. Right. Exactly. Some other stuff I think is like it's a bad plan that can't be changed is an interesting one that got written there. I wonder what that means. Maybe it's just Radzinski sort of becoming disillusioned with the Dharma initiative process. There was also a mention of the Valencetti. Uh, it said Valencetti-related research activity, which goes back to the numbers of it all. There's also a really fun phrase, a mouse does not rely on just one hole, which I guess speaks to like the Cerberus vents and the monsters' various gates of it all. Yeah, uh, so this is just, it's packed. It's jam-packed. Uh, the Blastor map was a 
big yep. deal. Uh, ben Martell notes it's a big enough deal that at the time they sold four lost jigsaw puzzles themed around the hatch, the numbers, the others, and character connections before the crash. And each of the jigsaws uh, contained a quarter of the blast door map on the reverse side, which used a glow in the dark effect that can't be seen as you're making the jigsaw. But the four jigsaws could be put together to create the full blast door map, uh, which Ben has done. Uh, so like this was a huge thing. Um, it was it was like real stop down and look yep. culture. This was this was a lean in moment. You were John Locke trapped underneath the door trying to figure it out. And I think that like you can see that there's actual payoff to it. Um, whether or not it's like stuff that they knew they were going to pay off or it's like, well, we put a flame on there. We put a pearl on there. Uh, we put the sonic fence on there. We've mentioned Magnar Hanzo. So now this becomes stuff where they're like, we'll have to pay that off. I think in terms of like the creative process, I would expect that that's probably more the way that it had to go. Um, but either way, it's just, it's a very impressive feat of tying in sort of like the process of watching television, um, combined with like the 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 the, di- the digesting mm. the di- the digestion uh a word that is really having a hard time being spewed yeah, you can't digest mouth. that word i can't i can't regurgitate that word um of of watching and processing and like the actual story um it's just it's very impressive to me and i think the blast door map is one of the truly excellent examples of when um sort of like the big metaculture around lost and the actual story combine in in such an excellently executed and not way. only that this is now a literal map for any future writers on the show to follow uh, especially yeah. when it comes to seasons three and five of building out the mythos of the dharma initiative now you have something to go off of elements to get involved in their other stations to sketch out you know we're gonna be seeing the pearl later on this season we'll see the flame next season as well so they really sort of built a guide sort of like a mini-series Bible, almost, for the Dharma Initiative, and sort of uh, on-island events before the crash of Oceanic 815 for people who worked on the show to follow and be able to fill in those blanks rather than having to keep, you know, start history over. This was sort of a nice foundational moment, I'm assuming, in the writer's room, too, of, okay, if we don't exactly know where we're going here, we always have this map we can go back to. All right, from Dallin Servo, getting into some feedback. Dallin writes, How much does Ben know about the lockdown and food drop at this point? Is he the reason why either happened? So, Mike, I've posited I think that the others are responsible for the lockdown. I think that the others are, tr- like, they know that shit's about to go south. Whether or not they know that Saeed and Anna are going to find uh, the actual Henry Gale, um, they've been watching enough to know that, like, this is precarious. We got to get him out of here. Um, that's my thinking on the lockdown. I don't have a great answer for the food drops other than like apparently the food drops were just continuing to happen based on the epilogue of the whole show that's what Um, i'm gonna say i think that i mean to ask you know did ben know about the food drop he definitely did right because you can imagine when him and hurley go to guam uh unlike frank lapidus they do go to guam and they find you know all the supply drops that i would imagine that ben would be the one to guide them there so my assumption is that he knows about the food drops maybe it just so happens that it was timed out around the food drop i would not put it past ben linus to do that but i i personally could maybe this is the occam's razor of it all that's opening up the pores i personally think that the lockdown is related to the supply drop and from that perspective either it was completely coincidental that it happened at this point in time or ben knew how everything was going to time out on a recurring basis and so decided to sort of work backwards from there 
Stefan Johnson uh, asks us, Locke talks a lot about people leaving him. Do you think he more so pushes them away? I think it's sort of a, a little bit of both. You know, I think that there is something, psychologically speaking, about pushing people away because you feel like you do not deserve to be loved, right? That's been Sawyer's entire MO since we've known him. I deserve to be a person who's hated because I do not deserve to be a person who should be loved. I think there's a little bit of in there for Locke, that he has lived a life of people leaving him. You can imagine to a certain extent it's ingrained in your head of like, okay, clearly there's something wrong with me. And as a result, you feel like you should not have anyone in your life. And so he could push others away. I could imagine there were probably people that came after Helen uh, in his life. And because he was so traumatized by the situation and felt like maybe he was not a good enough person to deserve that, he would push them away, even though those were good opportunities knocking. I, I think that's very, I think that makes sense for the John Locke character that, yes, people do leave him, but he is able to also push people away because he believes that people, you know, he deserves to have people leave him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that that's right. Uh, the real Henry Gale, Mike, uh, Daniel Brennan asks us, I think it would have been fun if they had used the time jumps in season five to give us a glimpse of what happened to the real Henry Gale. Could you guys write his story? Well, save that for the series um, Bible first, for next week in terms of the latter. Well, I was I was going to say uh, save it for the next episode or a future episode of the, the Lost RPG. Rich, if you're listening, uh, we definitely have to have uh, <laughs> Billy and Rodney have to encounter Henry well, Gale yeah, for so sure. So I guess in season five, would it be in addition to or would we sub out watching the Beechcraft from Nigeria crash and instead have this, no, this smiley no, face key. hot air balloon crash on the island as they time travel? That's key, right? Like we need that. We need that. I think uh, that would be sad to do, lose. I do would we, not lose Do we that. think, because I know that Henry Gale writes a note to his wife on a $20 bill. So like he had a wife. But do we think that, did he crash on the island with the wife, or was he traveling alone? Which, in the case, like, I give him even more complete, like, <laughs> shit for not only deciding to fly over an entire ocean in a hot air balloon, yeah. but doing it alone. I was concerned about the weight. What? You know? But how, how are you going to sleep? <laughs> I don't know. Like, he's, he became the real Radzinski of the balloon. He self radzinski himself. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy well, I don't want to drag him any, <laughs> any more than he needs the poor guy I'm digging a hole for Henry Gale and I'm throwing him you in know, it he, he had a hard time <laughs> he had a really hard time poor Henry Gale uh, at, at least I think we could say mercifully he did not uh, have to uh, eat his spouse yes exactly uh, so speaking of food I don't know if you noticed if you look up close at pictures of the balloon basket apparently uh, there are like bumper stickers for Mr. Clucks Ah, no. And also, <laughs> apparently, uh, there is one for Nas a la Cola, which is a reference to the Dark Tower series, because I believe that's like the oh, futuristic cool. soda that exists. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. And obviously, Lindelof and Q's big Stephen King fan. So, uh, and Stephen King, likewise, big fan of Lost. Um, from Ben Martell, uh, going to the poker stuff, would Stranger in a Strange Land be a better episode if it was the origin story for how Jack learned poker? Does Bailing have to be involved? Is she like his poker teacher? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she mentors him into learning all the Yeah, she really the, like the, 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 the tie Daniel Negranu, and then he gets a tattoo yeah. in honor of her when he wins his big poker tour. No, instead, it's, instead of a yeah. tattoo, it's how he got his World Series of Poker bracelet. Yeah, could be. Could be. Um, anything from Jim Fells' music analysis this week? Yeah, so uh, we've got a couple of things. So there's a little bit of like a hiking motif that gets introduced when Team Balloon finds the grave under the uh, beach umbrella that is the balloon. We hear it again, particularly during Michael's jungle run 
in three minutes. Uh, reflecting back onto orientation, again, a lot of parallels between this episode to the point where there's a lot of music cues that are very uh, similar to. And the music that plays when Jack and Kate find the supply drop is actually the same when uh, Anna approaches Echo after they, you know, the others take like nine people. So I guess it's this idea of like big mystery and discomfort involved. Granted, this is going to be much better news than you know, nine people being taken by the others. But yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a little brief glimpse into Jim's fells this week. This, this is, was another uh, double episode video. So he put lockdown and Dave together. So I'll talk about the second half of the video next cool. week. Cool. Awesome. Um, some very big news, uh, down server. Who's been tracking the dude counter. Uh, we've broken the 100 dude threshold. Mike. Three digits of dudes, three dudes. Yeah, we've got, we got triple dig dudes. Uh, down server says uh, Hurley says dude four times in this episode, which cracks a hundred. We are up to one hundred and three dudes. One hundred and three dudes in what, like uh, forty episodes or so? Yeah. What what episode number is is lost? This is, this is episode seventeen, and we technically had twenty five episodes in season one. So this is forty. This uh-huh. is forty two. It's 42. Yeah, it is. Actually, I knew that uh, based on something that you and I are going to get into later in the week because uh, it was a very eerie moment on a couple of different <laughs> levels. Uh, but I don't want to spoil the, the bonus podcast we're doing this week. Tune in Thursday night, 7 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time to twitch.tv slash roundhoward if you want a first look at the madness. Um, Mike, we got to update the uh, the Ben Linus beatdown counter. Mm-hmm. Um we have to put Ben's uh, pantry beat down on here. So Danielle harpooning Benjamin, that's number one on the board. I think that that's safe. Saeed beating up Ben in the hatch, I think that's yeah, safe. Yeah, that, that has more of a profound effect. Right? We're seeing those lip rings for the foreseeable future. Uh, so yeah. I guess by default, number three is either due to his own volition or accidentally, Ben gets beat up by the pantry. Yeah, I think it's a cell phone, but you think it's he's getting beaten up by it the really, pantry. It's so Schrodinger do- shelf, uh. really. Yeah. Okay. So I think we could just say Schrodinger's uh, shelf <laughs> is uh, is what happened here. Uh, was he beaten up by the shelf, or did he uh, use the shelf as a weapon to con- continue to screw with John Locke? Uh, you can you can be the judge on that. But I think it's a comfortable number three. I think we're in chronological order at this point. Yeah, I would say so. And and you know. I guess we'll see the immediate repercussions. I don't remember at the top of Dave if he gets another beatdown, but if so, let's let's sort of keep this counter warm. Okay, 23 points. Uh, Mike, you've got two MVPs. I've got three. I've got two LVPs. You've got three. Um, I'm going to give my first one to Jack. I'll, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll throw right? one on as well. That just shows how good of an episode this was for Jack. Better than his most recent flashback episode, even though considering the flashback, that's uh, not exactly uh, breaking new ground or anything. But yeah, very, very good episode for Jack. One of the most net positive episodes for Jack for, in quite some time. We talked about it before. Gets the medicine back. Completely owns Sawyer in the process. Is he even able to make up with Kate? Pretty good episode for Jack overall. Really good episode for Jack, for sure. Um, I'll give my second MVP point to Ben, uh, because I think that he plays this all so well. And yeah, he gets caught, and that sucks. Um, But I think the ways in which he's able to dunk on Locke, all really, really, really strong. A really, really strong psychological warfare game from Ben this week. I'm going to give a point to Helen, because we're not going to see her for a while in this form. Uh, I, I think that, you know, again, I, I personally feel like she made the right decision. I appreciate the role that she played in Locke's life up to that point. And I mean, it's it's Katie Seagal. I want to commemorate her short-lived time on Lost before she moves on to the great beyond. 
I love it. I appreciate that. I would join you in that endeavor, but I got to give an MVP point to my guy, Saeed Jarrah, who goes the extra mile to exhume a body. Yeah, I mean, had he, had he not done that, the ruse would have been kept up. So he effectively it's busts Henry Gale. It's a crazy thing that he does. It's not even effectively. He busts Henry Gale. He busts it wide open. It's a crazy thing he does. He unearths a body. If he's wrong, then he's digging up this man's wife. You know, what would he do then? Let's not tell him what I did. Um, (laughs) Nobody say anything. Yeah. Like, what is he going to do there? So, uh, but he he gets it right. And if he didn't do that, then who knows how things play out. So huge credit to Saeed. Saeed's streak keeps on a coming here. Uh, So moving into the LVP. Listen, it's a pretty big rule here on Down the Hatch, pretty much. That if Anthony Cooper appears in an episode, he's going to get at least one LVP point. So I got to follow the rules here. Yeah, I think this is Anthony Cooper's best episode by far uh, in terms of like him being like a decent enough guy. Like I think like like he's not a decent guy, but Dallin Servo even noted, is this the most genuine Anthony Cooper we see or am I just falling for his deceptiveness? Dallin, me too. If we're falling for his deception, then we're falling for his deception, but not so much that he still doesn't get an LVP point. He drags Locke into the abyss. He ruins Locke's relationship. That's all Tony Coop's fault. He has to like pretend to die in order to 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 get uh you know uh all this money. Uh he's ditching town. He's just ruining his son's life whether he wants to or not. So you gave him an LVP, I'll give him an LVP point. Let's keep dragging him down. But I think of the three episodes he's appeared in, like this is the least number of LVP points he's gotten. So it still is the best yeah, episode so in for its him. own way. Yeah, yeah. Except that's for like a, uh, I think I gave a... him one for Confidence Man because of what he did, even though he did not actually yeah. make an appearance. Uh, speaking of Confidence Man, I'm gonna give one to Sawyer here because he gets pwned by Jack. Like really he does. does. He really gets egg on his face here. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a fun stuff, and Josh Holloway is great, but for Sawyer as a character, yeah, he just gets Especially fun. considering, like, all the bravado he showed up in the long con and how much we commended him for it, for him to just get completely wedged, essentially, by this guy that he had wedged <laughs> yeah. a little while ago is not a great look. Uh, I'll give an LVP point to Jimmy Bain. Yeah, like, he, you know what? Like, he could have even been, like, a like a cool character, you know, like, to talk about on Down the Hatch as, like, a fun, like, gag. He didn't even get that no. status. So that's how you know Jimmy Bain really sucks. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I'm going to throw another one on there as well, just because he's sort of like generic thug. And also he's uh, he pushes, you know, Locke to maybe in a certain direction. Like, were those thugs not there? Anthony Cooper might have more initiative to go to the bank himself and doesn't get Locke involved. So he is unfortunately an accessory in what ends up being a very heartbreaking storyline for John Locke. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So some updates in the season two rankings. Uh, the top three remains as is. We said Echo's got season two's MVP uh, clinched, but Saeed's closing in. Wow. Uh, Echo has 12 points, but Saeed's got nine. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Saeed's going to catch Echo. Um, Anna Lucia is still in third place with, with five MVP points. And then there's a three-way tie uh, for fourth. Uh, with four points each between Kate, Jack, and Ben. Wow! Look at um, again, Ben four for four here. I wonder though. I guess we'll. I don't want to, uh, you know, put the black horse before the cart at all. I wonder now that the Ben storyline is over, how, is Saeed going to get like as much? You know, obviously he'll have his own role to do in this season two finale. But I do feel like so much of these past few episodes was him being right about Ben that he was really getting all this praise heaped upon him. Is that going to continue, or will this be Echo's time to make a breakaway? 
Yeah, um, I think that's likely. I mean, Ben is still going to be on the show for another three or so episodes, right? Like he's going to, I think, three yeah, more until, and then yeah, the finale. Two for the road, yeah. Um, so you know, I I, th- I think like it's still very likely that he's going to keep piling them up. Um, and I'm I'm not remembering very cleanly where Echo really reintegrates to the story. Yeah, because uh, if it is at question mark, um, you know, he's going to get points there, uh, and he'll probably. Get I don't know if he's gonna get points for the finale because he gets himself blown yeah. up, you know. So <laughs> you know, there's a lot of questions still. So I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. Maybe maybe we spoke too soon about about Mr. Echo, or maybe this is much ado about nothing. I will say, uh, Anthony Cooper, um, who was already you know pretty low. I, I think that he was our LVP leader. He is by far and away our series LVP leader. Um, he has. What does he have for the season? For the season, he's got negative four. So for the season, Charlie is still our LVP leader. Mm -hmm. But for the all-time total for the series through this point... Anthony Cooper has negative eight points. Wow. Um, so he's he's really dragging it down. Uh, Kate's dad, Wayne, uh, is the second closest with Randy Nations uh, at negative five each. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he really is. I mean, he is in hell. Uh, he thinks he will be in a little bit, but he is in hell in terms of points. And I think there is no sign of stopping anytime soon, even though we're not going to see him for a while. Um, so let's talk about lockdown as far as the 4.2 stars are concerned. And I'll, I'll, I'll yada yada through uh, any drama. This is a perfect 4.2 for me, and it is as well for you, right, yeah, Mike? We talked about everything I love about this episode, and I loved it even more upon watching it, knowing the arc of the John Locke character in relation to Ben, in relations to other people. I think that the B-plot storyline, well, maybe a little bit like superfluous at the time, I think is one of those great little deviations from the main plot that also gives a lot of character moments as well. And it brings in one of the biggest Easter eggs in Lost, if not modern TV history. This is really still one of my favorite episodes of the show to date. And so it's, it's got to get a 4.2 for me. Well, it's got a 3.9 from the audience, so it's like very, very cream of the crop, um, but not quite there. It's actually the same score that the audience gave to Orientation earlier in the season, which you and I were both in lockstep on giving a 4-2. So Lockdown is going to be above Orientation, and in fact, we've been having a, a tie for second place for the past couple of weeks between the 23rd Psalm and one of them. That tie is broken. Uh, the 23rd Psalm is currently above one of them, but Lockdown is above them both, and Lockdown is now clocking in as the second best episode of Season 2 so far. Uh, Man of Science, Man of Faith still at the top with 4.09 as its official down-the-hatch score. Lockdown right behind it, 4.0. Wow. Wow. Only yeah. 0.01 difference. I mean, we'll see how things change as the season moves along. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we'll see if any other episodes meet the, the high heights. I know I'm a big fan of Two for the Road. Personally, uh, I know that a lot of people really like Live Together, Die Alone as well. I think that those are the other two episodes that might have a chance of glancing that silver medal spot. But I would not be surprised, Josh, if Lockdown either stays number two or might even move up to number one, uh, depending on how people rank it after the fact. Here's something that's interesting, Mike. Um... So the the the, the scores uh, the scores uh, for for uh, these episodes as we've gone along the way, how would you expect it to shake down for the John Locke rankings? Um, what would your instinct be in terms of ranking the John Locke episodes we've seen so far? How do you think they break down? I would say that Walkabout is going to be far and away number one. I wonder. I feel like 
two is either going to be Lockdown or Deus Ex Machina. I feel like this would probably just sneak in at number two with Deus Ex Machina number three and Orientation bringing up the rear. Yeah, so it's it's Walkabout has a 4.16 right now. Deus has a 4.113. Oh. Locked, Lockdown has a 4.08. And Orientation has a 3.96. Um, Lockdown is, I think, going to crack currently. Both Lockdown and Man of Science, Man of Faith are both going to currently crack um, I think the top 10 of episodes through where we are at this point. A reminder that you can still submit your rankings. Uh, we're, we're allowing you to still submit your rankings for season one. Uh, also for season two, you email down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com your score from zero to 4.2 for any of the episodes we've covered thus far. Um, but I just, I find it interesting that the third best of season two right now is a 3.99, the 23rd Psalm. And I think that's going to shut it out of the top 10. So as it stands, I think we only have two season two episodes that are cracking our top 10 episodes through 17 episodes of season two. Yeah, I would be intrigued to see maybe this is something we can do with the mathematicians behind the scenes, the Valencetis of it all. If we could get like a season average as well, I wonder what like at the end of it all, how the seasons rank. Because obviously we have our own season rankings. I wonder- yeah, we do have that. We do have that. We have that figure already for season one at yeah. least. Uh, for season one, the season one average is a 3.546. Um, for season two, currently it's a three point five, um, but we still have a few more episodes to go before we get a full uh, number. Yeah, but that. that'll be interesting. Obviously, I think season two is going to fall below season one because of various things. One of them being definitely hitting lower lows. But especially as we get into like seasons three through six, how they compare to season two, I'm sure is going to be very interesting. Especially an episode like Lockdown, where those subsequent seasons are going to follow up with a lot of stuff that was put onto that blast map. All right, so let's talk about what's coming next. Uh, We've got a special podcast coming your way. It's going to drop on Saturday morning, so you've got something fun to listen to this weekend. Uh, We will will withhold uh, the actual details of what that podcast is and let that be a surprise for you. But Mike and I are going to be recording that on Thursday night. May 21st, 7 p.m. Eastern Time over at Twitch TV uh, slash Round Howard. We'll be doing it on my page live. So if you want to watch it live, you want to clear your schedules, that's where we're going to be doing it. So it's definitely, uh, I, I think it'd be very fun to watch along live. I think it's going to be very yes. messy. Uh, so <laughs> I think you'll have a good time. Um, Mike, if he can join me, uh, we'll watch the end. Uh, 8.15 in the morning is when we will start the feed uh, and we'll give you a few yeah. minutes to, to yeah. join well, up. I think I'll we'll probably set my start alarm. Like, Maybe my alarm will be a jack jumping from a cliff to punch me in the face to wake me up and join the yeah i think that's good i think that's good we'll have a hard out uh on that by i think like 10 45 uh our time uh on on that one so um we will we'll be starting as close to 8 15 in the morning as possible for that podcast on the actual finale day not a podcast just a stream we're not going to be making the audio of that available so uh if you want to watch it if you want to join in if you're planning on watching the finale on saturday on the day anyway that's one way you can do it we'll be streaming it live and then after that uh no podcast from us until the regular standard time dave dropping may 29th an episode that i don't know that i'm exactly excited to get into Mm. mike only from the perspective of like i often go uh i flip-flop on dave a lot sometimes dave works for me and sometimes dave really does not i mean it's understandable given the fact that this was definitely at the time one of the more wtf episodes because it was one of the more unresolved mysteries in general as to okay is hurley seeing dave is dave is this another monster thing 
uh, you know, is Hurley really going crazy? Obviously, we dip more into the Santa Rosa of it all, and obviously we have one of the very few nuggets about Libby that I'm sure we're going to get into. But yeah, this was definitely, I remember being a really weird episode, especially after the climacticness that is lockdown in general. Anything is going to be tough to compare to that, but hopefully we'll see how this holds up against, especially some of these other Hurley episodes, which I know I have enjoyed the flashbacks in particular. Let's see how that compares. All right, so get your feedback in for that podcast. Get it in by the morning of May 27th. You can send that to downthehatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also tweet at us at postshowrecaps, at Round Howard, at a Mike Bloom type. Subscribe if you have not done so already. Your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. On the off chance that you miss out on all of the, uh, the bonus shenanigans we are planning surrounding the 10-year anniversary of the series finale, uh, we just hope that you have a great time. It's a good time to be a Lost fan right mm-hmm. now. I'm, st- I'm, I'm still too burnt out on Game of Thrones to do anything extra to mark the one-year anniversary of the series finale other than I wrote a piece for The Hollywood Reporter that was literally saying, hey, I'm still too burnt out about Game of Thrones to say anything meaningful about Game of Thrones. That's literally the article if you'd like to go and read it at thr.com slash Game of Thrones. On the complete flip side, when it comes to Lost, uh, could not be more hyped to be in the Lost Minds, uh, especially with you, Mike. This is so much fun. Yeah, especially talking about an episode like this, which just had so much into it. In terms of other stuff going on on post-show recaps, Josh, you and I got together not too long ago. I got to crash uh, your Everything is Super podcast with Kevin Mahadeo to spring a big old surprise <laughs> on yes. him when you did your sort of like intermediary phase one to phase two phase shift uh, Marvel podcast. Yeah, so uh, check that out if you're if you're uh, if you're not hip to the Everything Is Super podcast. That's our superhero spot here on Post Show Recaps, where Kevin Mahadeo and I have been crawling through the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a rewatch. Um, we took a break this week in between phases one and two. We watched the Avengers last week. We're just cooling down right now, and by cooling down, we've ramped up the crazy. Uh, we brought Mike onto the podcast, and we did Survivor: Earth's Mightiest Heroes versus uh. Villains, a Brant Steel simulation of the Marvel Cinematic universe phase one it was kevin mahadeo's first exposure to brant steel and if you are <laughs> if you're a brant steel fan if you like that stuff i think that kevin's reactions yep. uh are, are really worth it uh to watch the video version which we link to um which we've linked to on on post show recaps and the show notes as well for that podcast so check all that out i think that you will you will have a very good time with that yeah it was, it was a lot of fun and otherwise check out all the other stuff josh mentioned his writing uh, I have been doing a butt ton of Survivor stuff as we wrapped up the finale for the big season 40, both exit interviews with that. And I've got some more fun stuff coming up with some interviews, maybe with some people behind respective curtains, but still plenty of stuff to come along. You're interviewing Ben? I I, I am, exactly. Actually, I, the Ben Martell deep dive. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's really a lot of information in him. Hopefully it's not as much of a torrid history as Benjamin Linus or even Henry Gale, but we'll see uh, what form of transport he really fancies. Okay, sounds fun. All right, so we are going to get into all of that stuff. Follow Mike at a Mike Bloom type. Follow me at Round Howard. You'll get all the things that we've got going on. And uh, by the time we talk to you next, uh, crazy things, crazy things are going to be happening. Great time to be a Lost fan. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye. Sixty.